Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 242. My name is Sean Gerber and I am joined by the one and only Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am doing well. I'm very excited to talk about the all the amazing things we got from the MCU last year, which were actually, considering we're in a pandemic and everything, we got a lot, a lot last year. So it's super exciting to kind of go over and talk about our favorite things from it. Yeah, absolutely. So this episode is the previously announced, overly hyped, although we didn't hype it that much, the MCU Fan Awards for 2021. I know that we are now deep into 2022, but we're kind of piggybacking off of the Oscars, which are happening as we record this episode. So guess how much we're paying attention to that. No, we wanted to also have some time, as we had mentioned throughout the year, to let some things sit a little bit because Hawkeye finished at the very end of the year and Spider-Man No Way Home came out pretty close to the end of the year and didn't want either of those projects to benefit uh, from recency bias or be artificially restrained to try and counteract recency bias. We wanted to sit with these projects for a little while in addition to everything else that we were treated to from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2021. And the 2022 year for the MCU is, it hasn't actually kicked off yet. It's about to. Uh, We record this just a few days before Moon Knight premieres its first episode on Disney+. Plus. So that will really start this new year for the MCU. So before we get into that and start enjoying everything Marvel Studios has to offer in 2022, we do want to honor the best that we got from the MCU in 2021 with the 2021 MCU Fan Awards. And this is something that carries forward a tradition that we started almost 11 years ago with the very first Modern Myth Movie Awards from the Modern Myth Media Podcast all the way back in 2011. That's how long we've been doing this, even longer than that, but that was when we started doing award shows. And so happy to carry that over now to MCU Fan Show with the MCU Fan Awards. And now we have so much content that we can really do this for the MCU between the handful of series and movies that we get every single year. And it really had the desired outcome in that there were a lot of really tough choices to make. First, to come up with a list of five nominees, only five nominees in each category, and then to have to choose a winner in each category, and we were happy to share some of that burden with you, our dear listeners. You all have been voting for the past few days over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. We have the cutoff now for the vote because I had to put the scores in eventually, but thank you all to everybody who participated in that. You certainly have been a, a very important factor in deciding the winner's for this year's MCU Fan Awards. Now, before we get into it with our our first category, just want to say, as I said in the announcement that I put out uh, a little while ago, please don't get too mad at us for any snubs that you hear in the li- or don't hear in the, amongst the list of nominees or in the winners. And if you do get mad, that's okay. We can take it. We're used to it at this point. But um, these were really tough choices, and. I don't know if anybody can be more frustrated with any of these choices than I already am, because when I had to finalize the list of nominees, I was like, oh, man, there's some categories and some exclusions that I I just really hate myself for not being able to uh, include everything that I wanted to 
on these lists of nominees. So don't worry if you think there are snubs, that just means you're right. There are totally snubs in uh, each of these categories, really, except for Best Feature Film, because we could only have four nominees and we would have been allowed up to five. So everybody got nominated for Best Feature Film, but that category is not coming up for a while. We are going to begin at the end because our first category is best tag, with tag being the in-house official term that Marvel Studios uses for mid and post credit scenes. So the nominees for best tag are Wanda Hears Her Kids, WandaVision Season 1, Episode 9, Loki Meets Lokis in the Void, Loki Season 1, Episode 4, Don't Call Her Val Has a Job for Yelena, Black Widow, the Ten Rings are sending a message in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That's the mid credit scene for that film. And the introduction of Star Fox in Eternals, the mid credit scene for that film. Now, at the Modern Myth Movie Awards, we handed out a action figure that doesn't actually exist. We're going to keep that tradition going. So that's what we will give out, the coveted MCU Fan Award action figure. And the first one that we will hand out for the best tag uh, in the for the best tag in the MCU in 2021, the votes are in, and the winner is Wanda Hears Her Kids from WandaVision Season 1, Episode 9. And this is one where our dear listeners, you all played a key role in this one, uh, in this victory, because Paul and myself, neither one of us had this one at the very top of our ballots. Uh, my top choice was the Ten Rings sending a message, and I'll talk about that uh, in just a little bit. Paul, you chose something that was very close to being my top choice, and that was Star Fox with the Eternals. But mm. let's focus on our winner here for a moment. I don't, even though this wasn't my top choice, it was it was almost my top choice. I, I really kind of had a, a tough time. I would say with four out of these five, really tough time. There wasn't much separating these four moments because Wanda hearing her kids was really awesome in WandaVision, but also... I'll never forget what it felt like to have Loki meet the Lokis in the void and that fourth episode of Loki. Like, that was huge. And I just remember the massive shot of adrenaline that I got watching that episode for the first time because I think I had stayed up to watch it for the midnight premiere of uh, on the West Coast of the episode. And all of a sudden, I was wide awake at the very end of that episode because I got to see all of those Lokis, including one that was an alligator. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And... um and the Star Fox one, which we'll get into. But with the winner, I totally get it because it was exciting. I think you're still in that mindset of being very happy about Wanda getting her Scarlet Witch costume. And you're mm -hmm. seeing her do the astral projection to just keep reading while she's like sipping tea out front. Her astral form is there reading the Darkhold and figuring stuff out. And so I think there's just a lot of excitement at seeing her power level just continue to escalate and her getting more into this world of magic. And then after having a lot of the speculation that was driving so much of the conversation about WandaVision, some of that kind of gets tamped down at the end because you learn the truth of what the hex was and, and everything like that. But we knew that the next step for Wanda was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And so we wanted to have some sense of where she was at. And this kind of gave us that. Like we see mm -hmm. her diving deeper into these things that she really had no exposure to until Agatha opened her eyes to it in this series. And not only is she, or maybe she had more exposure to it than she gave herself credit for, but then we see all the implications of, well, the kids are still alive. She said goodbye to them at the end uh, before the credits. And now after the credits, 
the kids are still around and she's able to hear them. What does that mean? How is she going to be able to get to them? What does she have to go through in order to get to them? Those are all questions to be answered uh, on another day. But the fact that those questions were existing and that this really fueled those questions, obviously it create generated a lot of excitement. And so I'm not surprised that this ended up being the winner. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised either. This was my number two. So, and I really thought hard about it because one, I thought most people would, would say this one. And, and two, I, I, I did like this one a lot. This was, I thought a big, um, to be, obviously if you read the comic books, you know what that kind of is hinting at for many different reasons. So it was really exciting. Um, but for me, the star, this, me personally, the star Fox thing, I just, I was not expecting it. It was completely su- a surprise for me. And, I was, I've always liked Star Fox. When I started reading comic books, he was kind of around and, and I just, he's just kind of this weird character, but very weird, but also so bright and colorful mm-hmm. and, and just his personality is very, just kind of unique and interesting. I don't know. He, he's an interesting character. So when he shows up at the very end, I have no idea this was coming on. I just, it blew me away. So I think I went with a surprise more and just my more infatuation with like my love of comic books started around, you know, and he was around the Avengers at that time in the late eighties. But, but yeah, this was a tough one because I did like that end credit, the end tag for uh, Wanda at the end of of WandaVision with that, or the kids and everything. And, and what that's eventually going to be hinting at with what we're going to be getting probably in multiverse of madness and very much beyond it as well. So yeah, that was a tough one, but I went with my heart and I went with the, with my eight year old self. Yeah. Well, I think that now we know even more, right? Like the whole Agatha house of Harkness series, is that going to also be tied to, I mean, it has to be tied to WandaVision in some way, unless it's, entirely a prequel series but even then they'll find some way to connect it so i don't really know but as, as i said it doesn't the answer to those questions don't necessarily matter right now that's not what it's about when you're talking about the excitement of these tags and so yeah i'm not i like you not surprised at all that it was the winner the reason why my top choice was that 10 rings sending a message from shang chi and the legend of the 10 rings is it felt like its own little mini MCU experience of a lot of the things we love most about the MCU. Like Mm -hmm. uh, it's a brand new character that we just met or brand new characters that we just met in Shang-Chi and Katie. But then we're now immediately connecting them to and giving them FaceTime, no pun intended, with Wong, but then also Carol and Bruce. So here we have, and also, I mean, the reveal of that. Okay, Bruce Banner is not Professor Hulk. and, And I know that we had our own kind of cynical response to that, Paul, of like, well, I guess they saved money on She-Hulk, didn't they? So there was that element to it. But it was still cool to see Mark Ruffalo again back as Dr. Banner, Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, uh, still with uh, a new hairdo, but the same Captain Marvel costume that we saw her wearing last in Avengers Endgame. And so that part of it was all very, uh, was just very exciting to me. And and the whole idea that the Ten Rings and going into the origin of them and they're super, super old and they're a beacon sending out a message and don't know to who or where or what, but it provides this sense of history to the MCU, even in this entirely new phase. And you wonder what the larger ramifications of that are going to be, because there have to be larger ramifications. That's exactly what they're pointing at in that tag. But then also to end it on that joke of karaoke with Wong and Katie and Shang-Chi, 
that's like the MCU experience is you have the big high drama connecting heroes you just met with the ones you already know and love. And then also some laughs along the way. It was its own little mini MCU experience, as I said, which is why I like that. And then the other reason why I almost chose Star Fox, I feel like this tag kind of got let down because and this is not like the time to just sit there and beat up on Eternals because we have a nuanced positive review of Eternals on this feed. So you can check that out. But I, I think the reason why I like the Star Fox tag so much is that it really elevated my excitement. Like I, I didn't come out of that Eternals movie before the credits or actually, I guess when Arisham shows back up and, and takes everybody off of Earth or the Eternals that had stayed behind on Earth and takes them like, OK, that's exciting. But then it elevates when Star Fox shows up. And obviously there are larger comic book connections with Star Fox and Thanos, which they actually did acknowledge. Like if they do have Star Fox in the MCU, are they going to have him be Thanos's brother because Thanos is already gone in the MCU? Well, we get the answer to that question. He is still Thanos's brother. Um, so, yeah, these were these were all great. I mean, we had some really exciting tags. I mean, Eddie Brock being in the MCU for like half a second uh, in the MCU, uh, even, that didn't even make the list because that's just how exciting a lot of these were. But congratulations to Wanda hearing her kids. The uh, post credit scene from WandaVision Season 1, Episode 9, uh, certainly a deserving winner. Now let's go to the real MVP. So this is the award that uh, for those whose impact cannot be measured in screen time, it's not about having the most lines it's just being able to make a big impact with very little. And the nominees in this category for the real MVP in the MCU in 2021 are David Lengel as Phil Jones slash Harold Proctor in WandaVision, Eugene Cordero as Casey in Loki, Zach Cherry as your boy Clev in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Clayton English as Grills in Hawkeye, and Robert uh, Robert Walker Bronchoed as Orville in Hawkeye. And the action figure goes to David Langle as Phil Jones slash Harold Proctor in WandaVision. And this one wasn't very close in the voting. David Langle won by a healthy margin. And I can't really say that this was much of a surprise. I really, I mean, really... David Lengel is a huge reason why this award exists for the MCU Fan Awards. It was really what he was doing as Phil Jones when he was being called out for his beatnik enthusiasm by Mr. Hart in the first episode of WandaVision. But then, of course, as the power is going out, he's saved by the power going out in Chapter 3 of WandaVision, just as his wife Dottie is asking him if those earrings make her look fat, and the delivery of Oh Thank God... David Lengel was just fantastic in WandaVision, and that was really kind of the inspiration of getting this going was his performance, but then also looking at a performance like Eugene Cordero as Casey in Loki, not knowing what a fish was, and thinking that the uh, Tesseract sounded dumb as Loki was describing it to him. We had these, uh, these actors, and I could see that this was going to be a fully fleshed out category that a lot of actors were doing. Uh, a lot of great stuff uh, with just these tiny little bit parts. And then Zach Cherry, who was telling Spider-Man to do a flip in Spider-Man Homecoming uh, a few years back, then gets to make an impact in the bus action sequence in Shang-Chi. Clayton English, this was uh, as Grills. He actually won as far as the listener ballot was concerned because we have the larger Academy of Modern Mythological Arts and Sciences 
and uh, the the listeners, you all collectively are a member and get to cast a ballot. And Clayton English was number one on that ballot, and I totally get it because he really came through in Hawkeye. Yes, he started out by you know stealing a costume that uh, did not belong to him, so that part wasn't cool, but he certainly redeemed himself in the way that he was helping out Clint and Katie throughout. I mean, even offering Clint not just his couch, but his bed when Clint needed uh, a place to stay as the, the world was falling down around him. And then Robert Walker, uh, Robert Walker Brown showed as Orville. And look, the sound effects and the LARP battles is really, I mean, that could have, in any other year where it maybe wasn't so competitive, that could have won him the real MVP award. But Paul, no, it's uh, it's David Lengel. Oh, thank God, is Phil Jones, Harold Proctor, who is our our real MVP. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I totally get it. Like it's, you know, for me, these these ones are harder for me to be honest, because sometimes I, I, some of these people I only almost forget. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy. Over, you know, I had to kind of really re, re, rewatch these things. Like you rewatched everything. I, I could not, unfortunately. Um, so I forget a lot about these people to be quite honest. So for me, I had to really think about it and I, I, I loved, you know, the WandaVision's, you know, um, Phil Jones or yeah. whatever. I loved when, you know, he's a neighbor. I always, I wanted him to be something more. There was something, the way the, the way he portrayed himself, it felt like, it felt like there was something more going on there. Yeah. You know, and I've always liked, I liked the way he, he performed his character the most. Like, I always thought there was something there and I always read into it, but then that was always the intent probably or not. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think we were looking at everybody as, I mean, remember Herb had the whole like name thing in common with high evolutionary. I mean, oh, there were yeah. a lot and, mm-hmm. you know, Dottie being like the leader of the witch coven and no, she was just a victim in Westview, like, uh, like Phil and, and everybody else or Harold Proctor. So, yeah, like, I, I totally get that. And I think that's one of my disappointments of WandaVision. Not like it's a huge deal at all. So I was like, oh, man, they, they really kind of once they revealed the truth about these characters, they didn't really focus on or at least Phil Jones anyway, didn't get as much play, but uh, had a, a strong showing in the first three episodes, strong enough to secure this award, because, of course, it was uh, he lost his uh, grandmother's piano. So he really, you know, he had to earn it. There were a lot of sacrifices made by uh, Phil Jones and as played uh, perfectly by David Lengel. So congratulations, David Lengel, on being the inaugural real MVP at the MCU Fan Awards. Now let's move on to the Rookie of the Year Award. And the nominees are Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau in WandaVision, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova in Black Widow and Hawkeye, Munger Zhang as Shai Ling in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Simu Liu as Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop in Hawkeye. And the action figure goes to Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova in Black Widow and Hawkeye. And this is the not the last, but the first in the awards that we're giving out where this was a unanimous winner. First place on every ballot, Florence Pugh, uh, Rookie of the Year. And I... I, I mean, obviously, I agree with this. I put this first place on every ballot means she was first place on mine. It was a really close call. And I think for um, for all five of these nominees and I, and I think for I mean, Tiana Paris with what she did as Monica Rambo in WandaVision. I mean, Simu Liu 
leading a brand new franchise with a brand yeah. new character being introduced to the MCU and doing it so successfully. So, and, and of course, Haley Steinfeld, as we talked about, was just magic every week as Kate Bishop on Hawkeye. And, and Munger Zhang, I thought, was outstanding as Shai Ling. So everybody had a great case to make here. This was one where the tiebreaker for me just ended up being, well, Florence Pugh got to do it in two different projects. And she really became not just a supporting actor, but she was a co-lead as far as I was concerned in Black Widow and did such an amazing job in that film. And then we knew because of the you know, that post credit scene that was nominated for the best tag, like we knew she was headed toward Hawkeye and going to factor into that series in some way. But I didn't expect her to appear in the episode in those episodes as much as she did mm-hmm. and be yeah. able to make the impact that she did. And so that's really what it is. And, and I'm trying to think and, and hard pressed to come up with very many examples where somebody in the same calendar year is making a, a is debuting in one thing and then also making a significant impact in another. You know, the last time I could think of this is Brie Larson being Captain Marvel in her own movie and then showing up in Endgame several mm. weeks later. Yeah. But uh, so it, it has happened before. It's not a first, but it's still rare enough. And Florence Pugh, obviously a, a rare talent who gave two outstanding performances this year. So it was just the fact that she got to do it twice instead of once, which is why uh, which to me was the only thing I could use to separate everybody here because they all did such an amazing job. But yeah, Florence Pugh, totally a deserving winner. Yeah, this was tough. You set up perfectly. Simeon Liu is, he had his own freaking movie and he was great in his movie. And, but every time I thought about, you know, the, the, the character that I loved initially, immediately and wanted more of all the time and it just captivated me was Florence Pugh's Black Widow. And, you know, two, if you want to, if you want. Um, and for me, I just, I just, yeah, it's, it's, there's something electric about it. I've raved about her on the movie. I raved about her on the TV series for Hawkeye. There's something about her that is just magnetic. And I just can't, I, it's just crazy. She's just electrifying. And to go off on a little bit of a non-Marvel thing, you know, her being cast in the next Dune movie is, I'm like, she's so perfect for the character she's playing. You know, I mean, she's perfect. You know, if you know the Dune at all, who she's playing is, is like, I can't wait. It's going to be delicious. It's, it's amazing. Um, she's going to eat up scenery. And when she eventually, especially for the third film, they eventually make it. So, um, anyway, it's, yeah, like, she's a phenomenal talent and I am just, she seems like a really good person, like a really fun, easygoing person. It seems like the way she presents herself online. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's something about her. She's just a talent, man. She's a force of nature and she's forcing in a good way, Marvel to really probably rethink their plans for her as a character and maybe include her more than they probably ever thought of. And I think it's great. So I, I wear nothing but smooth sailings, I think for Marvel and having the future of their, these new characters, taking them up the mantles and things like that. So yeah, Florence Pugh, amazing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, how fortunate are they at Marvel Studios to, I mean, they had something to do with it, right? They're, they, of course. they obviously work on these things, but yeah, to have these performers and all of these people, these five nominees that we just listed, they're all just getting started in the MCU. So um, yeah, Marvel did very well with the uh, 2021 rookie class. That's for sure. 
Um, and they're all on, you know, rookie deals. So I don't know if that works the same in the movies as it does in the NFL. Wow. But anyway, uh, yes, congratulations to all the nominees. And yes, the winner, Florence Pugh. I, I keep congratulating them as if they're actually going to listen to this. But who knows? On the off chance that they do. Um, and if you see them, dear listeners, just congratulate them on their MCU Fan Awards. And if they don't know what that is, that's okay. Um, <laughs> let's look at, uh, we got two categories coming up that focus on design. And this is to help honor the people who help make these characters look so cool. So that includes the Marvel Studios visual development department, but then obviously the costume designers that uh, develop the looks for these characters to what we ultimately see on screen as they're translated from the page to the silver screen. We will start out uh, in the same vein in the spirit of Rookie of the Year. We're going to have Best New Character Design. So this would be a design for a character that had never appeared in the MCU prior to 2021, and the nominees are Yelena Belova in Black Widow, Taskmaster in Black Widow, Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Arisham in Eternals, and Kate Bishop in Hawkeye. And the action figure goes to Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi mm. and the Legend of the Ten Rings with the design, at least from the vi- a visual development perspective, done by uh, Andy Park. So congratulations to uh, to Andy Park. He had a couple nominees on this list. Also had Taskmaster and I think Yelena as well. Um, but yeah, I can't disagree with this at all. I also had Shang-Chi at the top of my list and I, I love everything about this costume. I, I love how, um, I mean, I just, I think the overall look is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But then also what kind of elevated it for me was even watching uh, Marvel Studios Assembled and having Andy Park and, and everybody talk about the Jordans that Shang-Chi wears as part of his costume and how that's just integrating, you know, his how his whole look is honoring, obviously, his time. It's honoring his culture, his heritage uh, from China, but then also he spent a lot of time in the U.S. And so there's a certain amount of Western culture that is integrated into like who he is, and, and that's reflected in his look with the Jordans that he wears. Uh, I really thought that was a nice touch, that it wasn't just him wearing sneakers for the sake of it, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if a superhero is wearing sneakers? But it actually is meaning something to the character, and it also just visually looks really, really great. And uh, Shang-Chi was also the leader, and I think it was the leader on your ballot, and also uh, was the leader on the listener ballot, so uh, no surprise, that was going to carry enough weight. Uh, to guarantee mm. a, a victory here. But I also, I have to give an honorable mention to Taskmaster, who I feel yeah. like is held back by maybe maybe other things around that movie or the mm-hmm. character not being fully fleshed out, um, you know, being more of a surprise reveal for backstory for Natasha as opposed to like a, a fully realized individual character, and that might have played a part in it. But from a purely design perspective, and and by the way, go back and listen to the review. I still liked Taskmaster in Black Widow, um, but I, I understood why maybe that wasn't going to pop quite as much as just when you look at it purely from a visual standpoint. That's a freaking great design. Yeah, that was tough for me. Um, I picked uh, Shang-Chi as well, um, number one. there Because it felt like a great combination of the original character you know, and because there was that red motif in there, but also redesigning it because because the way they, they did the original designs in the comic books, he had this, 
the classic kung fu robe thing. And then when um, Doug uh, mentioned and Paul Jalusi, Jalasi, whatever his name is, the art phenomenal artist by the way. Um, they did their comic books and they went full on Bruce Lee no shirt. There was no real design, and and Shang Chi was very much a a palette, a very a very empty palette for them to kind of do whatever the hell they wanted to, and they did a phenomenal job with that movie. I love that movie. And so with the design, it felt very, it felt very uh, um, respectful to the previous, you know, mm. the red motif is all there, but it also, like you said, it, it took all those different aspects and put, made its own mark on it as well. So I, yeah, I, I love the design of that character it's, because of it's such an original design and, and the MCU um, designers and, and the people who are, you know, all the artists who are redesigning these key costumes for the big screen, they all have, you know, a lot of them are they're extremely amazingly talented people, and but they're all usually basing it off of, of, of something, right? And again, there's a, that's not a knock, it's just, you know, reality. So because this was such a more of an original design, that's why it gave me a notch notch over Taskmaster, because it is more of an original design from the the Marvel Studios team, and I think it's great. I think it's perfect. Um, Taskmaster, you know... <clears throat> that's I think that's why I lost out I, I to Taskmaster. I thought Taskmaster was you know from a visual standpoint a phenomenal translation from you know page to screen because you know you just you you can't have that that same page you know that comic book character be translated completely into onto the movie screen because you have too many characters who have the same motif you know yeah you, too you, many you skulls just, already. Yeah, you've already done that. You can only do it so many times. And I felt this was a very appropriate thing for it. And I, and and obviously the CGI enhances everything because you yeah. know when when the, when the stuff came out leaked online, it did not look great. I'll be honest. I did not. I was not thrilled, and I was very vocal about it. And when I saw it on screen, saw it move, and saw the enhancements from the CGI, yeah different story it was phenomenal and i loved it and so yeah shang chi gets it over just because it's more of an original design but that ad- adaptation from page to screen was is really really underrated or yeah i would say it's underrated because people have their own issues with that whole thing again i don't want to get into it but i think it's a great design personally i think it's a great ad- adaptation of the costume yeah, it is. And and I think, you know, there were looking at the other nominees. I mean, Kate Bishop, I love that design, but also I think it was probably held back when you're trying to decide a winner just by the simplicity of it. Um, you know, the, even though it's perfect for what it needed to be. And then a character like Arisham, which was my favorite design coming out of Eternals, but also, you know, you don't have to design. There's a certain degree of difficulty that goes away from it, not just because like you just get to basically honor Jack Kirby and they did so beautifully with the design of Arisham, but also it's an entirely CG character. So, I mean, it was a beautiful enough design that it deserved to be highlighted here, but also maybe doesn't win because nobody, nobody actually has to wear it at the end of the day, uh, which Mm -hmm. is not the same for the other characters uh, who were nominated here. But uh, yes, congratulations to Shang-Chi and and Andy Park for that look and everybody else uh, who helped design uh, that look that we got on screen and then for best character redesign, so this is for characters who we already know and love in the MCU, but they got a new look in uh, the MCU in 2021. And the nominees for best character redesign are Wanda Maximoff as the Scarlet Witch in WandaVision, The Vision, or White Vision in WandaVision, Sam Wilson as Captain America in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Natasha Romanoff's white costume in Black Widow, and Spider-Man's final suit in Spider-Man No Way Home. 
and the action figure goes to Wanda Maximoff as the mm-hmm. Scarlet Witch in WandaVision. Another win for uh, Andy Park, who has been on the podcast. So uh, congratulations awesome. once again, Andy, uh, for another victory here for both new character and a redesign. And this was almost a unanimous winner. Uh, it's my fault, actually, that Wanda would, did not uh, have a unanimous victory for best character redesign. I had her second on my ballot because I just love Sam Wilson's Captain America yeah. costume so, so much. It is one of my all-time favorite costumes in the MCU. And so um, it was. It really was splitting hairs. And, and even then, I don't even know if there was that much intention behind it. Might as well have just been a coin flip between Scarlet mm-hmm. Witch and Captain America. I love both of those designs so, so much. I also, by the way, love Ryan Meinerding's new Spider-Man suit that we got at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home. I mean, there were other Spider-Man costumes like the black and gold suit that could have been nominated here or the integrated suit that could have been nominated here. But my favorite one from No Way Home is the one at the end of the movie. It's all bright and shiny with uh, rich, bold colors that you know Spider-Man is known to have. And so I absolutely love it. And I just had to, as I'm splitting hairs uh, here to decide a winner on my own ballot, I just had to knock it down a little bit because I'm like, well, the overall design is what they've already had for Spider-Man in the MCU. It's really just more of a, a color scheme change uh, slightly, um, which to great effect, but uh, you know that was enough to hold it back and didn't feel as much like as much of a complete redesign as obviously making Wanda Maximoff truly the Scarlet Witch for the first time or Sam Wilson become moving from Falcon to becoming Captain America and how amazing that costume is. So I would have been happy with either Scarlet Witch or Captain America winning for best redesign and perfectly happy uh, that Scarlet Witch took it because that's an, an outstanding costume. Yeah, to me, it. I think with the fact we haven't gotten that Scarlet Witch costume yet, it was just it just looked it was a great appropriateness for from again from page to screen. And whereas it, it pretty much was, it, it, yeah, this was hard. Like you said, flip a coin because again, Falcon, you know, the the Sam Wilson Captain America costume was literally from the comic onto the screen, and that was pretty impressive. They were able to pretty much pull that thing off and it had to look pretty rad. Um, but yeah, Scarlet Witch, I thought <clears throat> just was a little bit more, uh, a, a good inter- interpretation and not, I want to say um, upgrade or um, just, I would say um, update is, but that's what I'm trying to say. An update of the costume because it, you know, they, they had the co- the Halloween costume be what she did and then, you know, from the old comic books. And this was more of an update of what, you know, they would do from a translation from, you know, page to screen to give it more, you know, a little bit more contemporary, what, what, whatever. But uh, I thought it looked great. And, and, you know, and I think that to me is why, again, it got the little bit of the nudge over the Falcon suit because the Falcon was almost like verbatim and it looked phenomenal and it was great. And that's why I was my number two. But Scarlet Witch just had a little more creativeness and a little more, I think, going against it because it's a little harder to translate that I think on screen and to give it some, you know, give, and make it look, um, not menacing, but just make it look real and have it not look silly after, especially having the fun costume that we got in the Halloween episode. I, I thought they pulled it off beautifully and she looks great, obviously in the freaking um, doctor, uh, oh my God, Dr. Strange uh, trailer. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I think to me even more so now, I think, and honestly, I'll say this, uh, Sean, I think this Doctor Strange trailers helped me like it more 
I liked it. Well, I think... that's because it's not the same costume anymore. Oh, it's not. Yeah, okay. like there are already some significant changes, and that might have actually affected it for me as well. Is just the fact that they already kind of moved on from the design uh, a little bit. But by the way, I expect that whether it's Captain America four. Um, or it's somewhere else that we see Sam Wilson next. I, I expect that his costume is going to have uh, some tweaks because they, even they mentioned during the Marvel Studios Assembled for the Falcon Winter Soldier, like there's always a little <coughs> fold in the neck that they had to CG out every single time. And I kind of feel like that's something that they'll probably address in a more practical way um, in order to solve that, which that probably won't lead to as big of a tweak for the look as I think we're already seeing a little bit for Wanda. But it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, the way she became Scarlet Witch was it was very, very quick at at the end of WandaVision and, you know, taking on that look, that identity persona and that whole look and everything that, you know, it would make sense that that would be something that she would continue to adjust uh, a little bit. So um, it, it totally creatively, it still makes sense for that to be a look that can. I mean, I, I think the spirit of that design from WandaVision is still holding up in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but there's definitely an evolution to it. But as we got it in uh, WandaVision, it was great. And, and I mean, it was mind blowing at the time to be able to see it. And so, yeah, I, I can't uh, I, I can't fault it at all. You or our dear listeners uh, for helping to sway sway things to have that be uh, the winner here because it, it totally totally deserved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The headpiece. And that's what did it for me. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's a perfect translation. Yeah. And I, I was you know, I was even happy for that just because in you know, talking to Andy previously about one of the things he, I remember I interviewed him back during, I think like the home release of Ant-Man and the Wasp. And one of the questions I had asked was, you know, what was one thing that you always wanted to include in a, like a character and you didn't get to. And he mentioned like the headpiece for Wanda. Mm. And so he finally got to do it and did uh, such a great job. So yeah, it's, I, I love that design and it's just super, super awesome. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and let's move on to our next category. This is for best supporting antagonist because even the bad guys need a little bit of help. So our nominees in this category are Evan Peters as Ralph Boner in WandaVision, Gugu Mbatha-Ra as Ravona Renslayer in Loki, Alakwa Cox as Maya Lopez in Hawkeye, Alfred Molina as Otto Octavius or Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man No Way Home, and Jamie Foxx as Electro in Spider-Man No Way Home. And the action figure goes to... Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus slash Otto Octavius. And this is another one where I ruined the consensus. <laughs> I ruined the uh, what would have been a unanimous victory for Alfred Molina. I had him second place on my ballot behind Alakwa Cox as Maya Lopez. And I think the only reason why I had them flipped it wasn't really about one performance being better than another because both performances were outstanding. I just felt like Maya Lopez was probably more of an antagonist in Hawkeye than Otto Octavius was in Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, obviously, I didn't disqualify Dr. Octopus from even from even being considered in this category, so still counts as a supporting antagonist. Spider-Man fights him and has to hold him captive for most of the movie, but... It's pretty clear that he's, just as we kind of suspect from the trailers, he was always going to turn good. And we also knew that Maya Lopez wasn't inherently bad, but I felt like she yeah. was more in that antagonistic role for more of the plot of Hawkeye than Octavius was in Spider-Man No Way Home. So call it a technicality, call it whatever you want. 
that was why I uh, went ahead and gave the edge to Alakwa Cox. But look, from a performance standpoint, I can't argue with Alfred Molina as Octavius in this. It was amazing to see him again. And I always loved his performance, even if I didn't love the characterization of Dr. Yeah. Octopus in Spider-Man 2 all the way back in 2004. But none of that was ever up to Alfred Molina and the way they crafted that character. And I thought built on that and enhanced it with what he did in Spider-Man No Way Home. That was something special. So perfectly happy with this win for him. Yeah, I, I, I'm biased because I'm a Spider-Man fan. So I'm, and I loved, you know, that performance and like, like you, Sean, I don't, I didn't love the original ASM, you know, or it's an ASM, uh, Spider-Man two characterization of the character, but in keeping with the, the, the nature of that character from the second movie and seeing him in it, it was just really special to see him there. And he just, he was so much fun. It's just, you know, he just sucks you in Molina's such a phenomenal talent. Right. So he, I'm just biased. It's hard. I, I, I love Melina. And, you know, listen, like Maya Lopez, she was great in that, in that show. And uh, Alakwa Kwok, Cox, she, she's great. And nothing against her performance at all. It's just, I'm, I'm biased because I'm a Spider-Man fan. Yeah. So it's hard to go against my biases. It's hard because I love Spider-Man in, in those movies. So it's, but yeah, I think in the end, I think he just has a, a just kind of, he gave me a little more of an oomph overall. Yeah. No, that's totally it's totally fair. And look, it was an incredible performance. I, I really can't uh, argue with it. I mean, even on my own ballot, he was second place. So I can't really yeah. argue that strongly uh, against it. And, and I won't. Now let's talk about the best surprise reveal, uh, which is not the same as another award that's coming up right after this. But we have the best surprise reveal from the MCU in 2021 and how we go about this it could be what was the most surprising but it could also just be about the way the reveal was done um it doesn't necessarily have to be about uh you know which one ended up being uh doesn't necessarily have to be the one that was like the biggest shock that nobody ever saw coming because some of these were things that yeah sure uh some of us uh some of us saw it coming so the nominees for best surprise reveal are it's been Agatha all along in WandaVision, Season 1, Episode 7. To Grow Old In, The Origin of Westview, WandaVision, Season 1, Episode 8. Yelena was blipped in Hawkeye. Matt Murdock is a really good lawyer in Spider-Man No Way Home. Or Peter Parker Portals, because we love alliteration and who doesn't, uh, in Spider-Man No Way Home. And the action figure goes to, well, we're going to need two because believe it or not, this one was a tie. We have a tie for the best surprise reveal. What a surprise that the best surprise reveal of the, in the MCU in 2021 was actually two. And the tie is between It's Been Agatha All Along from WandaVision Season 1, Episode 7 and Peter Parker Portals in Spider-Man No Way Home. So, Paul, I think you're going to be able to cover us on Peter Parker Portals. Let me handle It's Been Agatha All Along. Yeah. I had this as my top choice, and the reason why I had it as my top choice, it's nothing against Peter Parker Portals, which I had in second place. It was wonderful, and I absolutely loved it. And I, I think it was one of those things where Marvel did their best. It's nothing against Marvel or Sony, that they had tried, you know, they did their best to try and hide it, but we knew that Andrew and, and Toby were going to be in this movie. And when it got to that scene 
as soon as Ned's opening portals, I'm like, well, we're about to meet two new Spider-Mans or two old Spider-Mans. And uh, still the way they did it was good enough. And the reaction, of course, in the theater was insane. And um, I'll, I'll never forget that. And same thing for people reacting to seeing um, Matt Murdock showing up. Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock in Spider-Man No Way Home. But for It's Been Agatha All Along, the reason I gave it the edge is there was still a little bit more of a surprise because we were still trying to, it wasn't that surprising if you're looking closely at WandaVision, but at the same time, we had so many other theories that were out there of what Agatha's deal was and was she the one that's really behind this in any sort of way and to really show us that. And that's where I I think it's just, this was pure style choice for me. It's the way this one was executed. You have the song, which was amazing. But then the way that song, as a as a theme song, it's taking you through the opening titles of Agatha all along, and it's all the places that she was to have things go wrong for Wanda and Vision in WandaVision in Westview. I, I just thought everything about that had uh, was just style points like crazy, and so that's where I had to give it a, a little bit of an edge. But I also don't want to knock the the emotion of to grow old in with the origin of Westview. Also, Yelena being blipped because that was just total shock when all of a sudden uh, she's uh, well, I mean, like three seconds before she was going to blip. I started feeling like, is she going to blip? But uh, opening with that scene, I didn't necessarily think that's what was going to happen. Uh, when we saw her in Hawkeye. So there was some surprise with all of this, um, but just it was the style for Agatha all along for me. Um, but no no disrespect, no shade whatsoever to Peter Parker Portals because uh, it was awesome. And it was uh, the top choice of our listeners, and I know you as well, Paul. Yeah, and listen, I, I had to really think about, is it really a genuine surprise? And I got to say that the reason why I put it number one and not Agatha, because I was trying to be real with it, right? Not trying to put my bias back as much as possible. But the reason why I think that the reason why I thought it was, I put it as a surprise. It's not just the reveal of that. I think just knowing where it was in the movie, I was expecting it to happen more at the very, very end. And when it happened, I went, Oh, I knew we still had a decent amount of time left. And so I'm like, Oh, Oh God, like they're in it actually in it for a while, I think. That's and so point. that to me contributed to why I put it number one. I I knew they were coming in it somewhere, but I didn't know exactly. And like, or you know, maybe or again, I I didn't know exactly, but I, I had a good idea probably. But that surprise still of when and how they did it, I thought is just is is uh, just is is too good. It's too good. That is a really great point, and that's something that I had totally forgotten about in my own evaluation of this uh, of this surprise. It's not going to break the tie. I'm still going Agatha all along. I'm not changing it now in the middle of the show. But sure. um, yeah, that's something that maybe uh, I, I could have factored in. I, I don't know that it would have swayed me uh, off of uh, making Agatha all along my first choice, but that's a solid point. Like just that, that was definitely a thought that crossed my mind, especially seeing the movie for the first time is I'm like, well, wait a minute. This isn't like, this isn't final battle. Like this is in the long windup to the final battle. And they're mm-hmm. already here. Like we're going to get to spend <coughs> a lot of time with them. So yeah, that that's uh, that's totally valid in terms of just adding to the level of surprise. Now this next award is all about Paul Herman and it really dates back to, you know, the original modern myth movie awards because Paul Herman was known for, I don't know if we, that we hear it as much anymore. Not as but, much. Not as much, but there's a trademark squeal from one Paul Herman, which is just 
the ultimate fan moment. May not necessarily be surprising. Um, it can be, but it could also just yeah. be the ultimate geek out, fan mm-hmm. out type of moment. Mm-hmm. And um, the only, this is one where it's a, a specialized section of the, the Academy of Modern Mythological Arts and Sciences, that specialized <laughs> section being Paul Herman. He's the only one who gets yes. to uh, decide the nominees and winner of this <laughs> award. I will list the nominees, and then Paul will declare your winner. The nominees for the Paul Herman Squeal Award are White Vision, which was in the mid credit scene uh, for WandaVision, I think, episode eight. Uh, Baron Zemo putting on his mask for the first time in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Classic Loki's glorious purpose in Loki season one, episode five. The He Who Remains reveal in Loki season one, episode six. And then Spider-Man's assemble at the Statue of Liberty, in Spider-Man No Way Home. Paul, who does the action figure go to? Oh, it's it's obvious. It's obvious. It's white vision. No, um, it's uh <laughs> no, it's Spider-Man's assemble. Yeah. And I I gotta tell you, it's when they first show up, it's fun, it's exciting, everyone's freaking out. But that moment when they're you know, when they're running off and off and they're and they're you know, they're all going get, get oh my god, it's just they're all saying they're all yelling out together. Yeah. Oh my God! It's whoo! It gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And I, I don't. And I, we talked about it before the show. I have not seen it digitally yet. I'm waiting for the 4K here in a couple of weeks. And I, I just, I know every time I watch that part, it's just gonna give me a special like feeling. And it just kind of, it, it's an exclamation point of being a Spider-Man fan. Mm-hmm. And you know, as someone as as much as me. As, as, for someone like me who loves a character as much as, as as I do, and I love the character a lot, and in knowing the struggle of getting a Spider-Man movie to see live action, you know, ever as a kid, and now getting to that moment now as a 40-year-old man, basically at the time, uh, seeing them do that on screen, it just was surreal and just a very a good cap to like my fandom. Just, you know, just being like, man, like I've come full circle. You know, I, I dreamed of having Spider-Man on the big screen for the first mm-hmm. time, you know, when I was eight, nine, ten years old. Just, you know, and seeing Batman again. I'm a huge Batman fan. But seeing only Batman on the screen and being like, Batman's great, but no one cares about Spider-Man because yeah. he, can't be, yeah. he can't be in a movie. And then that change with Tobey Maguire and then, you know, capping it off here with, with No Way Home. And it was just a surreal moment for me. And, and having it, like, be just a real... You know, again, this is the first time we're seeing a live-action multiverse thing was with Spider-Man. Like, that's the thing to kind of think about. You know, it's... To have, they take this really ridiculous concept that we, we'd only think in the comic books is now going to be... On, is now on screen. And Spider-Man, of all characters, is the one that bring it to the masses. Is, is like, surreal. It's just... Yeah, it's... It is an all-timer. And, yeah, the Squeal Award... I, I do the Squeal now... My, as you can tell, my voice is not is, is not up there right now because my daughter keeps. That's bringing all right. We'll guns. have to do a Spider-Man No Way Home commentary track soon, hey, and then uh, when the moment happens, then the squeal can uh, can happen live. Um, yes, right, yes. Immediately as it's inspired by that incredible visual, and and look, it's your award, so no matter what, I can't disagree with you. But um, I still wouldn't anyway because this has to be it. Like this moment. When they all three land in in the same frame, you have these three Spider-Mans. And then, of course, immediately them jumping off and you get, you know, them with the face off, the big shot of them jumping toward the sinister, not quite six uh, that they were up against in that final battle. 
it was just, uh, it was mind blowing. I, I absolutely loved it. And like you, we've told this story, but it, it just, it bears repeating because I feel like every, we're, we're all so spoiled now that it, it's hard mm. to envision and even having lived through it, sometimes it's, it's hard to even envision like, oh yeah, there was a time when we just weren't even sure this, any of this stuff would happen. Like where the idea of a Spider-Man movie just wasn't definite. Like that wasn't something that was promised to you. It was just something that you hoped for growing up. And that's why people say, if they ever ask, like, oh, is this what you guys dreamed about, um, you know, when you were kids? No, <laughs> I just wanted a Spider-Man movie. So, like, I really felt like I was getting a lot of what I always wanted in the early 2000s. And then all of a sudden, you know, the MCU has long since surpassed all of that. And then, you know, you get a moment like Portals in or Cap getting Mjolnir or Portals in Avengers Endgame. And you think, okay, like now they've, I've seen everything I need to see and everything else is just icing on the cake. And then you get a moment like this, you're like, oh, I didn't know I needed to see this as well, but it turns out I did. And wow, I have a whole other level of fulfillment now as a, you know, lifelong superhero fan to be able to, to have this and, and specifically a lifelong fan of superhero based movies and Spider-Man movies to have it all come together and have an era of the franchise that meant so much, of course, with the Toby and, and Raimi years, and even Andrew Garfield, which, you know, look, I'm no fan of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but I liked the first movie and really wasn't blaming Andrew Garfield for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So, um, and I just love that all of these guys, whether they're your favorite or not, like they get a place in the mythology of these characters. And to have that, those three converge, because that's just a type of moment that uh, I had never seen before. We just haven't seen before. And to get it right there uh, in that moment, it is, it's absolutely an all-timer. And, you know, as soon as it happened, I was like, well, that settles one award. But, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that was more thinking about it later. In the moment, I was just completely lost in it. And, yes, there's uh, if there's one moment to make you squeal in the MCU in 2021, that's definitely it. Although there were, uh, there were a few others, but that's the absolutely. top one. That's the loudest one, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, speaking of sounds, let's go to the best original score in 2021. The nominees are WandaVision by Christoph Beck, Loki by Natalie Holt, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings by Joel P. West, Hawkeye by Christoph Beck and Michael Paraskevis, and Spider-Man No Way Home by Michael Giacchino. And the action figure goes to... Loki by Natalie Holt, and this was maybe the narrowest margin of victory that we had throughout any category, so this one was very, very close, with a lot of love spread across the various nominees here. In fact, there were four uh, that were all very, very close, including the winner, Loki, but WandaVision was right there, Spider-Man No Way Home was right there. Uh, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings was also right there. So it was a very good musical year in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I just have to go with, uh, I, I just, I, I know on my own ballot, and certainly I, I'm happy that uh, that it won, but Loki by Natalie Holt, that was definitely my favorite score of the year. I love the music in Loki so much. I think it is such a powerful driving force in the entire show. It really, I would say pound for pound in terms of what music really elevates what I'm seeing on screen the most in 2021, it was Loki. It might have been my favorite score of the entire year, regardless of anything. 
It's one of my favorite MCU scores ever. I love what Natalie Holt did with Loki, and that's not to take anything away because Joel P. West was fantastic with Shang-Chi. And I like what uh, Christoph Beck and uh, Michael Paraskevis did with uh, Hawkeye and the way they were to, able to incorporate some you know, good old-fashioned holiday music sounds into what they were doing with the more superhero Avengers-esque score that they were doing for Clint Barton. So there was a lot of great music in uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe this year. And, and Michael Giacchino, look, doing what he's done with that Spider-Man theme that he's brought to the MCU, adding different layers to it, adding different versions and iterations of it to go with the more dramatic stakes and the bigger, more mythological type of stakes that you get with Spider-Man No Way Home at the end. Uh, he certainly answered the call uh, with that score, but there was something just brand new and fresh and mind-blowing in that Loki score by Natalie Holt. And so that was uh, that was my top choice, uh, was also the top choice of our listeners. So I agree with all of you, dear listeners. Thank you uh, for helping me uh, make Natalie Holt the, the winner here for Best Original Score. Totally deserves it. Yeah, I I I'm not <clears throat> for whatever reason the MCU like music overall has not always hit with me and it usually doesn't besides the Sylvester Avengers stuff um and even his scores you know it's not always you know home runs I just have it's a hard time for me to really connect and I'm a musician I love music I'm a big big music person and for whatever reason that's one of the big, besides posters I think music for the MCU is one of the things for me. I think they kind of like don't always like, like nail or again, notwithstanding the Avengers theme, which I think has been for the, the Avengers films are probably the best of overall as far as consistency. Black Panther, I think is the best overall Ludwig's his stuff. That stuff is really great. Yeah. Um, and interesting, I would say, um, at, and then I'd say probably, um, Oh my God, the guy, um, mother love Bone. What the hell his name is. The guy from Devo. Yeah. Um, his stuff is interesting too, but it's just, it's just all kind of blurs together. And I'll be honest, this was a tough one because I just didn't really like a lot of these. I think Spider-Man's the best one. It kind of stuck out to me the most, but all of them just kind of, eh, I don't know. It's yeah. The, I have not connected to like the, the music and stuff, especially with the Disney plus series as much. I just have not connected with it. I know you've loved the Loki one. That was my least favorite. So, you know, again, nothing personal, just, I just, I don't know. I cannot connect to the Disney I know, plus. That, I might much. have to pull like the Iron Man three card and say, that's when you have to just go back and re-listen to, cause it's, may, uh, may, might need to, yeah. it's, it's really good. But regardless of whether or not you do, it already won. It's etched it in won. stone as the best original score at the MCU Fan Awards for 2021. Now, let's stick with an award that I honestly don't know that we'll be able to do this more than just this year or for 2021, because we don't normally get enough nominees in this category, but it is Best Original Song, which really could just be called the WandaVision Award, because all the nominees are from WandaVision. They are a newlywed couple from WandaVision Season 1, Episode 1, we got something cooking from WandaVision season one, episode three, making it up as we go along from WandaVision season one, episode five. Let's keep it going from WandaVision season one, episode six and Agatha all along from WandaVision season one, episode seven. I won't keep you in suspense because there is no suspense. The winner of best original song for the MCU fan awards is Agatha all along from WandaVision season one, episode seven. It was a unanimous choice. 
and how could it be anything else? Mm-hmm. That song Absolutely. just complete. I mean, it's it's a genuine bop, but it just it just took over. It really took over, and it was one of those things that I mean, it happened. It's not that rare in the MCU, but it's rare when it reaches certain levels, and when you just see something penetrate the mainstream on on a certain a certain way on a certain level like Agatha all along did with like all the the different remixes of it and everything else that people were doing and people were just loving the song and and rightfully so and as I said I mean the style of it the way it was revealed which is part of what made it my favorite surprise reveal of the year last year um that song is just perfect it is I mean the music is perfect the lyrics are perfect and the fact that Catherine Hahn is is singing parts of it in the recording um, is amazing, and she does a fantastic job at, at that. Yes, it's definitely the best. Um, and obviously, it's Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez as the the songwriters for all of these nominees, uh, including the winner Agatha all along. They just uh, they made something special here, and uh, and that's saying a lot because hey, look, I'm a big fan, and I have a playlist of all these Wandavision theme songs, and I was playing it a lot last year, and I still play it every now and again um, with, uh, and I've got a lot of love for we got something cooking for making it up as we go along, which is probably my second favorite, but also let's keep it going, which is uh, a lot of fun, but Agatha all along has to be the winner here and is. Yeah, there's nothing more to say. This was a banger. And it's amazing. I love the song. Yep. Oh, it's it's so good. I'm going to listen it's to so it after good. the show. It's so good. <laughs> so um, now let's talk. Hey, it's a good thing we laughed because this sets up the best comedic moment. <laughs> um, wow. We w- you would think we planned that segue. We did not. So the nominees for best comedic moment are Flourish, WandaVision Season 1, Episode 2. So all the flourishes the Vision was doing during the talent show. The Big Three from the Falcon and Winter Soldier Season 1, Episode 2. You're a Total Poser from Black Widow, Planet of the Apes from Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and MJ assaults Peter 3 with bread in Spider-Man No Way Home, and the action figure goes to You're a Total Poser from Black Widow, and this was a very difficult category to even Mm -hmm. settle on five nominees because there were moments throughout the year, throughout any of these projects and even ones that didn't appear here. Like, I can't believe that I didn't get any of the uh, hilarious moments from Hawkeye in here, like especially that LARP battle with all of uh, Orville's sound effects. That almost made it. Um, Yelena giving Natasha or talking to saying like she knew that Natasha liked her vest in Black Widow and all of these, you know, I, I chose one moment. We have one moment there from Spider-Man No Way Home, but you have with MJ assaulting Peter with the bread and they had to choose that one because like it kept going and it kept being funny. But there were so many other one liners throughout that movie and so many from Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings that this was really tough to just come up with five nominees. I think there are probably 10 other moments that could have just as easily been nominated because there were so many great comedic moments. The the definite top two for me, though, if I was just going by the volume of the laughter that I heard, the howls that I heard in movie theaters last year, it was the, you know, why do you do that? You're a total poser moment from Black Widow. And then the Planet of the Apes bit from Trevor Slattery in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Those are the loudest laughs. Uh, I mean, not just for myself, but from the audience. Those are the loudest laughs I heard all year last year. And the I gave the edge. Planet of the Apes was a very close second for me. 
you're a total poser. I had to give the edge, not just because of how funny it was in the moment, but it became a callback throughout that movie. So like when Yelena sees Natasha posing when they do the prison escape, breaking out Red Guardian, and then of course Yelena doing her own pose accidentally and being disgusted with herself. And I feel like that whole thing of you're a total poser and the MCU kind of being irreverent toward itself on that, that's just going to... I'm kind of projecting a little bit. Like, not only did you get those great callbacks in the same movie, but it just feels like the kind of thing and that joke is going to keep coming back up every now and again in the MCU, especially anytime Yelena is involved. And also, it just got a really, really loud, hard laugh from me and, and certainly any audience that I saw Black Widow with last year. Yeah. Again, Florence Pugh is just electrifying on screen and she's hilarious. She's got amazing delivery. And yeah, you're right. Like she, I cracked up when she said that. Oh my God, that was so good. And that's, I, it, again, Spider-Man always is my number one for a lot of these because I'm just, I'm biased and I do love, I thought that was hilarious that when Zendaya kept throwing bread at Andrew Garfield. But yeah, this was, a, this was my number two. I have no problems giving to this one. This is a great moment. I laughed my, my ass off. Yeah, no, and, and we'll continue to do so. It's just, uh, yes. it, it's great. Loved it. Now let's honor the best guest star in a series. So this is not for supporting actor. This is guest star and the uh, technical qualifications for this. You couldn't appear in more than a third of the episodes of a uh, given series, unless we were just talking about a very brief like post credit scene appearance or flashback. But anyway, um, outside of the technical nuances, let's just go ahead and talk about the nominees for best guest star in a series last year. Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Don't Call Her Val in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Richard E. Grant as classic Loki in Loki, Jonathan Majors as He Who Remains in Loki, Zahn McLarnon as William Lopez in Hawkeye, and Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk slash Kingpin in Hawkeye. And the action figure goes to, here's another one that's unanimous, the unanimous winner is Jonathan Majors as He Who Remains in Loki. And I fully wholeheartedly agree with this, as I obviously do, because it was, as I said before, unanimous. So I just I love this performance by Jonathan Majors in this Mm -hmm. episode of Loki so much. And it was definitely a highlight uh, of my recent 20 full 2021 rewatch of everything from the MCU, every episode of every series, every movie. And when I got to that Loki finale and got to Jonathan Majors as he who remains. It's like your attention is just drawn completely to this guy. He is so charismatic and yet also creepy and intimidating at the same time. So um, it's, yeah, it's different for It's difficult for a character and you know the actor playing the character to have somebody who is off putting and yet engaging at the exact same time. And uh, that's what he really was able to capture with uh, with He Who Remains and why we raved about it at the time and why we're so so excited about the variants that he's going to get to play as he uh, continues on with this character. And, you know, we know that we're going to see him in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, probably some other places as well. But Jonathan Majors just uh, he turned in something special with He Who Remains. And and uh, it's only because it was that special that. I, you know, I couldn't uh, give my vote to, I mean, got second place, but Richard E. Grant is classic Loki because yeah. I thought he had it, you know, like when I'm thinking mm-hmm. about these awards as, and I, I try to keep them in mind as the, as the year goes on. And, 
and started thinking about who's going to be a favorite for what category. And and certainly I was thinking, oh, well, Richard E. Grant, like that's that's an amazing performance right there. And then, you know, a week later, you and it's no less what Richard E. Grant did is no less amazing. But then a week later, you get Jonathan Majors as as he who remains. And, you know, a lot of pressure on that performance because we were all like, are we going to actually get some version of Kang? Like, what are we going to get? Or is it going to be another version of Loki at the end of this? And it's going to be a swerve. It's going to be disappointing, whatever. No, it's he who remains. And Jonathan Majors just knocked it out of the park. I think the reason why I think it's unanimous for for everyone, and I think I can only speak for me, but I think everyone kind of feels the same way. Why this was so good is that the buildup wasn't Loki. That everyone was very much, uh, you know, I think very happy and uh, just could rest easy when they watched the episode when they knew it wasn't Loki. And when you also, we all kind of thought Kang was there with the purple motifs and everything. We were rewarded a little bit, but we weren't fully re- rewarded, right? We're it's almost like it was a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for or the term I'm looking for, uh, whatever. Um, the thing is, for me, why I think it works so well for everybody is that it the performance gave you an idea of what was coming, but not. Exactly, because he was this different, totally different character, and he keeps telling us that you know there's worse, there's worse versions of me. Like there, I am, I am like he's basically telling the audience and those characters that I am the best, I am the only one capable of doing the right thing and doing the the things that uh, need to be done, whether you like it or not. And, you know, um, subversion of expectations, that's what it was. It subverted the expectations of the, of all of us, but it did it so in the right way without revealing too much. And because of that, of him saying, you know, there's worse things than me that are out there. I'm not even the worst one. And he knows what it's going to happen when he dies. The performance that Jonathan Majors does and gives us only gives us a taste of what we can are going to be getting with the Kang in the future. And I think that to me is why people, I, I think why they gravitate towards this performance is because it's just a tease of what it is because it's not even, it's not even like what we're going to get, but it's the anticipation. And it's that little bit of a, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's like almost like a 45 minute long tease, right? Of a character we haven't gotten yet. It's very unique. And that's why I love it. And he just, he is such an amazing talent. Um, I think that's why people love this, this, this character. And I think they love this performance so much. So that's, I, I read into it. I'm not sure if I'm right, but that's what I think people are uh, gravitating towards. Yeah. Well, I think, I think all of that is correct. And then also just the, the performance itself of just sure. being like, he's just that good. good. And yeah. it's kind of a weird, it, just, there's never really been anything like it where you have somebody who has kind of hype because like that's what the character had right is Mm. maybe we're supposed to be hyped to see this guy but not too hyped because we don't know for sure that we're gonna see him like we knew thanos was coming for so long so it's a little bit different when you have somebody who is playing a a major villain that has applications across uh, or implications across multiple movies and, and series potentially and you think you're hoping you're going to get him, but you don't know for sure. So like you can't just be full on into the hype that you're going to get this guy. And even as you meet him, you're still trying to figure out exactly who he is because you're like, well, he's he who remains, which isn't necessarily Kang. And he's talking about other variants of himself. So maybe that's Kang. You're not even fully sure of who exactly you're meeting 
throughout this, but you're gaining that understanding throughout the performance and as you, you know, as the story plays out throughout the rest of the episode. And, you know, for a character, to, for an actor to be able to engage the audience so much while there's still a lot of mystery that, that seems to be getting held back, um, it's, it, it's a really, really neat trick that uh, Jonathan Majors was able to do with his performance, amongst many neat tricks that he was doing in that performance, uh, chief among them just being really, really great acting. Our next category is Best Voice Actor, which doesn't have to be the What If Award because there was another vocal performance. There were other vocal performances in the MCU in 2021. So the nominees for Best Voice Actor are Tara Strong as Miss Minutes in Loki, Jeffrey Wright as The Watcher in What If, Haley Atwell as Captain Carter in What If, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa Star-Lord in What If, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange Supreme in What If?, and the action figure goes to Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher wow. in What If. Maybe an upset because a lot of people would have thought uh, would have thought Miss Minutes. And I know looks like uh, I think Miss Minutes was at the top of your ballot and also at the top of the fan ballot, but didn't make it through the rest of the Academy of Modern Myth- wow. Mythological Arts and Sciences. Um, but I look, I. I I'll stand by this choice. Jeffrey Wright was my top choice. He's fantastic. Agreed. I think Miss Minutes and Tara Strong was great. I mean, we talked about it at the time that it was so amazing that somebody who is just legendary as voice actors go gets to have a part in the MCU and live action part in the MCU with his animated character of Miss Minutes. And I have to give her full credit. And I would have been totally fine if she had won this and it was close. If she had won, I would have said it's not just about how charming and funny Miss Minutes is with a Southern accent. It's also when Miss Minutes becomes a little more menacing toward mm-hmm. the end of Loki and you start real. I mean, you know that like if she's representing the TVA, it can't be good, but you really start to see more and more of that. And then she's just not hiding it at all in the conversation that she has with Loki and Sylvie with the Citadel at the end of time, but then she's still being uh, evasive when she's talking to uh, Ravona Renslayer. So there's a lot of things happening there in that performance. And Tara Strong was, was right there for all of it and doing such a great job. Um, also, I mean, Haley Atwell as Captain Carter was such a treat. Benedict Cumberbatch having to go dark with Dr. Strange Supreme. And then also Chadwick Boseman who gave us a whole other side of T'Challa that we just didn't even totally know was there. So great performances by all. But Jeffrey Wright was just kind of he was the steward like he was the one. I mean, because that's the watcher's role, really. Like he he just made what if on a week to week basis because he Mm. was the he was the voice through all of it. Right. He's the voice connecting all of it. And where it really elevated for me is it wasn't just it it wasn't just stoic watcher stuff that I already kind of had in my head from various word bubbles or boxes from comic books of of the watcher just kind of watching when he became a more engaged character in the story and he wasn't just the passive narrator, Jeffrey Wright found another level in the performance to really communicate the idea that this is this is a different character now, or not necessarily a different character, but this is a totally new phase for this person. This is an evolution of this character that he's stepping in when before um, he's been mostly comfortable just uh, standing on the sidelines so that had to be communicated, and there was only really the voice work uh, to do that. I mean, obviously, the animation plays a part, but from Jeffrey Wright's perspective, it's all about his voice, and, and he brought it as uh, as the watcher. 
and certainly became a character where it's like, um, look, uh, I love watching him, what he's doing with uh, Gordon over in the, the Batman right now, uh, but also want to get this guy some live action, uh, live action love in, in the MCU as the watcher. Because uh, if if what he did in, in What If is any indication, um, obviously we know there's there's a lot that he can bring to it, which we would have expected because he, was, he right. was amazing before What If and then he was uh, just as amazing in it. Yeah, I, I'm surprised just because I thought Miss Minutes was more of a, not popular character, but just more of a, people, there was a lot of buzz around that character um, that I saw. And so I thought fans would maybe vote that way. I voted that way because I really I thought she had a really impactful short time, which I thought was really interesting and fascinating. But yeah, Jeffrey Wright was my number two, obviously. He was phen- phenomenal as a watcher. So you know, but I felt like she, because she was such an original character and Tara Strong is a legend and made that character her own. It was, just, it was very interesting. I, I love, I love Miss Minutes. I can't wait to see her come back. Um, so, but yeah, I'm not surprised or how about this? I'm surprised that she didn't considering her popularity, that the character. Um, so, but I'm also very happy that Jeffrey Wright got it. Cause I, yeah, he's he's fantastic. So I I don't there's no real bad winner here, but I'm a, I'm just surprised that Miss Minutes didn't get it. But which is great. I think it's fun. Yeah, always surprises at the uh, MCU yep. Fan Awards at the inaugural yep. MCU Fan Awards. Now, uh, just in case people are upset because Miss Minutes didn't win, and you're in the right mood for it, let's talk about the best fight of 2021. So the nominees for Best Fight are Wanda versus Agatha in WandaVision Season 1, Episode 9, Sam and Bucky versus John Walker in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier Season 1, Episode 5, Natasha versus Yelena in Black Widow, Wen Wu versus Lee in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and Spider-Man versus Doctor Strange in Spider-Man No Way Home. Before I announce the winner, just want to clarify... We do have another award for best action sequence, and there are fights included in those action sequence. This is, this is more for nominees of things that are more of a, I mean, they might be wrapped up in a larger sequence, but the emphasis really is on the one-on-one fight, or in the case of one of these, a two-on-one fight with Sam and Bucky versus Walker. So that's the idea behind best fight. Now let's talk about the winner, because the action figure goes to Wen Wu versus Lee in yeah. Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. I am so, 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 so happy about this. And uh, dear listeners, I I love what you chose for Best Fight. You chose Sam and Bucky versus uh, versus John Walker. That fight has my favorite finishing move of the year. So maybe that needs to be a new category with Bucky Mm -hmm. swinging Walker into Sam, who's got the shield as he's flying in with his, uh, you know, propulsion or whatever. Like that was, I love the way that fight ended. But um, as far as best overall fight, my second choice was actually Natasha versus Yelena in Black Widow, and that was the one that I thought might win. Mm. Uh, but I am very happy that the actual winner was Wen Wu versus Lee, because not only did you have beautiful fight choreography, but you had a full story being told, a love story being told in this fight um, that was just incredible. And I, I, I loved the love story, everything about it, while the action continued to be just mesmerizing and awesome. So there's no scene on this list that was doing as much as Wen Wu versus Lee from Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and it did it so well. So I am very, very happy that this won. Anything with Wen Wu is phenomenal. I'm going to say that right now. That beginning scene 
and I think I told Chris, our, um, our, our good friend, we were talking about the other day and I said that I think the whole intro of Shang-Chi is one of the best Marvel intros ever of all MCU. Um, I think the narration is great. I, but when you go into the, when you lead into the fight scene, when, when Wu is fighting his mom and his future wife, it is a beautiful, it is both beautifully choreographed and shot. And it gives you this, the sense of power between both characters, but it also, it, it, it like does this really crazy thing of showing their connection, this intimate connection they have. And that's, it sounds cheesy to say, Sean, but it's true. And I, I, I that it, honestly, if you would tell me that's what was going to happen, I'd be like, there's no way in hell they're going to execute that. Like that is impossible to execute two characters like that falling in and showing them fall in love on screen is going to be, it's going to be a disaster. Like it, it just, just to me that that is a hard thing to pull off. I think in film in anything. And they, they not only did it, they crushed it and it is so good. And, and what it sets up later in the film, I, yeah, I, I, I freaking love, 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 that that uh, that fight scene. So yeah, that the whole intro of that movie, this movie is great. But yeah, that is phenomenal uh, fight scene. It is extraordinary. As are the nominees for best action sequence. Here they are: the Falcon's aerial hostage rescue in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier season one, episode one; the fall of the Red Room in Black Widow; the bus in Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings; the trick arrow car chase in Hawkeye season one, episode three. And Spider-Man's battling the sinister not-quite-six in Spider-Man No Way Home. And the action figure goes to the bus from Shang-Chi and the Legend wow. of the Ten Rings. Everybody had this first on their ballot, except you, Paul. You had it last for some inexplicable reason. I don't hey. know. We'll have to see what you have to say about it. But that sequence on the bus in Shang-Chi, one of my favorite and I think one of the best action sequences in the MCU ever regardless of year and definitely tops for me on the year i i will say though that this was a stacked category and one that was very difficult to have five nominees because there were there was almost a choice to be made here to, to split this up and say best action sequence from a film versus best action sequence for a series because i feel like in fairness to the ones in the series, the ones in the movies are dealing with more time and more money in order to put them together. But I tried to factor, certainly on my own ballot, tried to factor that in, in trying to weigh these things and, and try to look at dollar for dollar who was doing the most with what they had. And I still have to say that the bus on Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings is the winner. The fall of the Red Room from Black Widow, maybe it could have been, but my relationship with that scene will always be complicated because I feel like Marvel just ended up showing way too much of it. So by the time I actually saw it in the movie, I can appreciate it and I, I don't want to penalize the scene for something that's not really the fault of the scene um, because it's not the scene's fault that it was shown so much, but because we saw almost that whole piece in various trailers and whatever else, because I mean, so many marketing windups for Black Widow, right? It's not even entirely Disney's fault, but there was just something about it where I felt like uh, I was going to see something extra to it in the theater. And, and that never really came to be. Um, 
But it was still spectacular in its own right, which is why I still, from Black Widow, would say it takes the top spot. It's the one that's totally new and totally inventive, uh, even over some other great action sequences in that film, like the Taskmaster chase or the prison escape for Red Guardian. Um, but also want to highlight, you know, the other nominees here. I mean, the Fal- that aerial hostage rescue from uh, season one, episode one of the Falcon and Winter Soldier that is so good. I, I everything about that scene just works for me, and I, I remember being blown away by that one in, when we first saw it. Because I remember nothing in the because WandaVision just wasn't that type of story. There was nothing in the action in WandaVision that had me stand up and say, "Holy crap!" Like they're doing movie level stuff here on Disney Plus, at least in terms of action. But it definitely felt like, well, I mean, and to be fair, I mean, the whole rune sequence and everything with uh, WandaVision was pretty great. Um, and Vision versus Vision was pretty great. Um, but it still wasn't quite on the level of this aerial hostage rescue from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, but also that trick arrow car chase from Hawkeye season one, episode three. That's another one where I talk about dollar for dollar. That's really effective with what they're doing with like the little oneer style shooting that they're doing for a little while. Um, and then not just having a good car chase, but being very inventive throughout the whole sequence and factoring in like the holiday tone of the series, but then also having some wacky MCU stuff like the Pym Arrow. Um, and then, of course, the whole thing of uh, Kate Bishop and Clint Barton being very much on the same page, but Clint doesn't know it because he's busy suggesting things that she already suggested that he couldn't hear um, because Maya had just destroyed his uh, his hearing aid. Everything about that was was so well done. The storytelling in it was so good, um, but you just can't top that bus sequence from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It had all the different elements. I mean, great martial arts action, but then also had a lot of the great, the, the superheroing of it all, of him having to save people as they're about to fall out of the bus, and then Katie having to step up and, and do her part. Everything about that was just, uh, was firing on all cylinders. It was, uh, it was a true spectacle um, in the best possible way in, in watching that movie. So yeah, the bus sequence from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, I am in agreement with the rest of the Academy and our listeners wow. uh, that it was the best action sequence of the year. Paul, what were you thinking? I, you know, I, I like the sequence. I don't dislike it. I just, it didn't excite me as other people, apparently. I just, for whatever reason, did not connect to it. You know, I, I, I love the beginning of that movie. I love the ending of that movie's fight scenes way more than that way more than that um so yeah i don't know i just it just that bus scene i thought was it was fine it i never i just didn't connect to it man i guess the audience loves it i did not so well i think we we understand why you would have voted for your spider-mans versus the not quite yeah (laughs) so and that one's pretty great so i I can't uh it's that one certainly had the superhero epic quality to it especially with some of those shots um, of everybody rushing at each other. Um, let's move to, uh, let's get back into some acting categories here. It's time to award the best supporting actor in a series. And the nominees are Tiana Paris as Monica Rambo in WandaVision, Carl Lumley as Isaiah, as Isaiah Bradley in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Owen Wilson as Mobius in Loki, Sophia DiMartino as Sylvie in Loki, and Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova in Hawkeye. And the action figure goes to, in a very, very close, uh, in a very, very close race, 
it was Carl Lumley who takes home the, or is Carl Lumley who takes home the action figure for best supporting actor in a series for his portrayal of Isaiah Bradley in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I, it's hard for me to argue with the choice of Carl Lumley. He did an outstanding job. I absolutely love his performance. And he was actually second on my list behind only uh, Tiana Paris, whom he just edged out, also just edged out uh, Owen Wilson, who was very close for his portrayal of uh, of Mobius. But I, I love Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau, still one of my favorite performances of the entire year in the MCU. And I am so excited about what she's going to be doing in the Marvel's uh I guess that's what next year. So I, I'm very, very excited about that. But Carl Lumley as Isaiah Bradley, I mean, his performance was just so powerful every time he appeared, but especially when he's telling Sam his full story in uh, episode five, Truth from The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, just really brought uh, just really brought some emotional heft to not just those scenes, but the overall series. I mean, and thematically, he really is the soul of that series, and, and he is in so many ways representing the inner turmoil and, and everything that Sam Wilson is kind of debating uh, with himself and and kind of validating that the struggle that Sam is going through. Uh, Carl Lumley as Isaiah Bradley is the one really putting words to it, even more so than Sam throughout most of the series. And Carl Lumley is is right there every step of the way in, in terms of his performance. So uh, definitely a a deserving winner, and, and happy to have uh, Isaiah Bradley secure an award here. Yeah, I I this was a tough one, man. There were some great performances here, and Monica Rambo. I really wanted to put her, but you know, again, I'm a giant Florence fan, so I had put her number one. And but honestly, these are all mostly these are all great, great, great characters and actors. So. Yeah, I this was a, a toss up almost for me, but yeah, I went with my heart, which is Florence. Cause I think she's phenomenal, but it was hard. Monica Rambo, she was great in this. So yeah, that was yeah. Isaiah Bradley deserved it. He was a, he was the heart of that series, mm-hmm. the backbone of that series. So yeah, I, I I have no problems with that one. No, he's uh, he totally deserves it. So congratulations to Carl Lumley, who's probably not listening to the show, but congratulations nonetheless. Now, let's award the Best Supporting Actor in a Feature Film. The nominees are Munger Zhang as Xu Shiling in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Lauren Ridloff as Makari in Eternals, Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker in Spider-Man No Way Home, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange in Spider-Man No Way Home, and Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker in Spider-Man No Way Home. And the action figure goes to... It's another unanimous action figure, this time for Andrew Garfield as Peter Three in Spider-Man No Way Home, and I have no way to argue this. He's phenomenal in this, and I think that if there's anybody who deserved a chance to shine in Spider-Man No Way Home, it was Andrew Garfield, because certainly, as the movie, in its uh, meta way, does not hide at all that he came from an era of the franchise that isn't as beloved as the first iteration of the movie franchise or the current iteration of the movie franchise. But Andrew Garfield gets to show, not that that's what he was out there to do, but certainly shows through his performance that none of that was ever really his fault. Uh, And what he was able to bring to this, I I think he brought uh, that trademark sensitivity that he was known for in the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Um, but also he brought, uh, I mean, he brought the comedy to it. Like he was absolutely hilarious and him 
playing off of. We talk about funniest moments. Well, just as easily as you know, we nominated MJ throwing the bread. His response to it of like you're a deep, you're a deeply mistrusting person, and I respect it. Uh, just everything about it was perfect. Um, and, and of course, when he gets into his whole self-talk thing and, and Toby Maguire's Peter Parker helping him out with that, um, it was all just on point. And then he gets to, of course, make the save, right. That he didn't get to make. And that leads to, uh, just an incredible moment when he saves uh, MJ during that final battle sequence. So Andrew Garfield, uh, he wins in a, in a year that was really stacked. I mean, Toby Maguire, um, I know you weren't as big of a fan of his performance in No Way Home as I was, but you still liked it. Um, and, oh, yeah. and Cumberbatch, uh, you know, Cumberbatch really kind of, I, I probably wouldn't have picked him as, you know, at the I, at the outset of like, he's going to end up being nominated um, in our own award show that we made up. But, um, you know, he got to show another side of it, like where it really kind of elevated it for me Um it, it was the end. It was when Peter's making his sacrifice and, you know, and, uh, and Stephen Strange kind of lets it slip just how much he cares about, uh, yeah. about Peter Parker with the tears in his eyes and everything. So Dr. Strange caring so much about Peter Parker, um, as portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch was very, very touching and, and elevated it. And, uh, Lauren Ridloff, you know, one of the ways that, inter- that Eternals could be a better movie is if it had more of Lauren Ridloff as Makari in it. Cause when she finally gets to, uh, show up and it is injected back into the story. The story and the movie get a lot better. Um, and she just she was so charismatic as Makari. Um, I mean, we got some of her in the flashback sequence, but she doesn't enter the present day story for quite a while in the film. And and I think that kind of hurt that movie because, as I said, she really elevated uh, every single scene that she was in. Um, as did Munger Zhang as Shu Shailing who's kind of new to the whole acting thing anyway, at least in as far as the, you know, an American feature film. And she, uh, she just crushed it as Shu Shiling and, and took a character that, um, you know, I had no idea about no previous attachment to going into mm-hmm. the movie. And when we're seeing her w- ready to lead her own version of the 10 rings in that post credit scene, I am ready for that. I want that movie or that Disney Plus series, and it, it's because Munger Zhang as Shu Shiling will be uh, at the center of it. So um, just an incredible year of supporting performances and feature films by these actors. Um, but yeah, there's there's just no arguing with Andrew Garfield. It, it's his this year. Yeah, I, I I voted for him, number one. He was, I thought, just a standout performance, and like you said, Sean, it just shows even more that he's not the problem with those previous films he's in. And they, I, I do enjoy some aspects of, you know, of, of those films, not all of them, uh, uh, all the aspects I like, though he is the, the main constant why I, I will rewatch those movies. He's fantastic. His Spider-Man is still my favorite Spider-Man of all time, not as Peter Parker, but his characterization of Spider-Man himself. And I thought that that to me was put on display even more so uh, in No Way Home. And yeah, I just, and also Andrew Garfield is an amazing talent and a force of nature too. So he's great. Indeed he is. Now let's honor some other supporting players who maybe don't get as much attention because they're not wearing costumes. They're not helping the bad guys, but they are still helping the heroes even if they don't get to wear the fancy costumes. It's time to honor the best civilian. And the nominees are Fala Chen as Lee in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Harish Patel as Karun in Eternals, 
Tony Dalton as Jack Duquesne in Hawkeye, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May in Spider-Man No Way Home, and Zendaya as MJ in Spider-Man No Way Home, and the action figure goes to Marissa Tomei as Aunt May in Spider-Man No Way Home, and I think this was another one that was very, very close to a consensus. In fact, the only ballot where Marissa Tomei was not the winner was actually on the ballot of you, our listeners, uh, who voted for Tony Dalton as Jack Duquesne as uh, as your number one. And hey, Tony Dalton is a great choice. If I were reframing the conversation to say which one am I happiest turned out to be a civilian, that would be Tony Dalton as Jack Duquesne. And I'm not going to strip him of his civilian status just because he got into the action a little bit at the very last episode. That was clearly a first for him. Uh, He had not been involved. He was a a patsy. He was not a career criminal. He was not some secret agent or anything of that sort who trained uh, Clint Barton in a past life. Tony Dalton as Jack Duquesne what really was just a civilian, and that was one of the best and most charming aspects of Hawkeye. That uh, and I know that maybe that changes things if you're uh, and you don't feel that way if you're a super big fan of uh, of the Swordsman from uh, from Marvel Comics. But I, I really like the surprise here. the The swerve is there is no swerve for Jack Duquesne, and that I really yeah. liked. And that's why I say I'm I'm happiest that he was a civilian. But I'm okay with him not winning, and he wouldn't have been my top choice, but I, I respect that choice from our listeners. Um, another strong contender for me, I mean, Fala Chen as Lee. Almost couldn't call her a civilian because of that opening fight with Wen Wu uh, that already won. Uh, MCU Fan Award winner, that opening fight with Wen Wu. The only uh, thing I would say is she, as she says in that uh, intro, she gave up those powers, right? She gave that up in order to, and became a civilian, uh, and that's how she lived out the rest of her life and, and Fala Chen was uh, just so good in uh, in that movie and Zendaya as MJ had some of the funniest lines in Spider-Man No Way Home um, but was also a big part of the heart of that movie but uh, the winner here was uh, is Marissa Tomei as Aunt May and I, I just uh, I can't argue it and I wouldn't because you know, I, I voted the same way on my ballot in rewatching No Way Home, not just like rewatching it at home, but even like through multiple trips to the theater and everything. Um, I mean, not that I didn't notice it the first time, but it just hits more and more with each passing viewing of this movie. Just what an incredible impact she has on the story. I mean, Marissa Tomei is an unbelievable actress, and we've known this since before she was part of the MCU, obviously. But to see what she did do... And and I think, you know, Aunt May, I think, has done a great job in these movies. I think she did a, a really good job in Spider-Man Homecoming. Maybe didn't get quite as much to do in Spider-Man Far From Home. And Spider-Man Far From Home wasn't as good as Spider-Man Homecoming. And maybe that had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. But she has her most meaningful role in and m- most meaningful scenes in this one, in Spider-Man No Way Home. And wouldn't you know it, this movie is the better for it. And it ends up being the best of Marvel Studios' three Spider-Man movies. And there are so many moments. I mean, of course you land on the Aunt May version of with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Yes, of course. But it's that entire scene. And it's the, you know, it's every, it's all the lessons that she is teaching Peter 
throughout this. Like when Peter shows up to feast and sees uh, Norman Osborn for the first time, and he's trying to rush through it, and like Doctor Strange says, we can get rid of him, so let's get rid of him. And Aunt May is the one saying, well, wait a minute, like what does that mean for them? And is there a better way? And him, Peter trying to say, well, that's not my problem. And then she calls him out on that. You really show Aunt May having such a pivotal role in shaping the hero that Peter Parker becomes in this movie and, and by the end of this story. And it's just, it's wonderful. And it's wonderful to give Aunt May that impact on the story. And also, um, it, it, but it only works though if Marissa Tomei is just crushing it with her performance and she totally does. And so when you get to that moment with great power, there must also come great responsibility. But not just that, even after it's all gone bad, right? She's already suffered the injury that is going to ultimately be her demise. She's suffered that injury. She's seen this whole thing has gone bad. All these, uh, you know, Spider-Man villains have escaped and everything, but she's still telling Peter this was the right thing to do. I know it didn't go great, and I know that this hurts right now and whatever, but we still did the right thing because we knew what the right thing was before all this started. It's not about what's going to happen. It's about what is the right thing to do in the moment, and, you know, she helps Peter identify that and know that it's still worth trying to do the right thing even if it doesn't always, uh, even if it doesn't always work out. Just... Whether or not it's the right thing doesn't isn't impacted by whether or not it works out in your favor. Just what do you know is the right thing to do? And that's the lesson that she instills in, in Peter Parker, which makes him um, a better person and a better superhero a, as a result of it. And that's the performance of Marissa Tomei and, and the legacy of her Aunt May in, uh, in Spider-Man No Way Home and now the entire MCU and, and Marvel Cinematic Multiverse. So brilliant performance. Yep, you nailed it. All right, let's move on to Best Duo, because we've been handing out all these acting awards to individuals, but sometimes it takes two. You need a team in order to really make one another better. So let's talk about the nominees for Best Duo. They are Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany in WandaVision, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh in Black Widow, Simu Liu and Aquafina uh, in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And lastly, Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld in Hawkeye. And the action figure or action figures go to Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany in WandaVision. Mm-hmm. I disagree. But Paul, I think you I think you had these guys on number one on your ballot. Why is yeah. it? I mean, I have a pretty good idea of why, but uh, enlighten me. I, I just, <clears throat> I think with the, you know, my main issue with, the only issue I really had with, with WandaVision was the last episode. It just did not land completely for me. Um, but, with, with, you know, notwithstanding some of the most powerful moments from that episode. Um, that being said, the chemistry that these two people had, I thought, transcended even the previous films and they were all in that which i liked their relationship although they had a good you know a solid relationship and chemistry the this series i felt really just showed how much of a connection and how much of a chemistry they these two characters had together and these two actors had and i just loved it I thought they were fantastic. And I think, you know, you just, you see the emotion on, on the end with, with her and the plans and everything. And just, I don't know. I, I love, I love them on screen. 
And the Halloween episode, I think, is just a riot and and also extremely depressing. Um, so there's just a lot there that I just loved of those two characters. And with something as as uh, that goes so far in the comic books that they that I think the writers and and the the actors have nailed. It just showed to me. I just it's hard for not to be to put number one. And it was such a unique show. I love it. So yeah, they're number one for me. I can absolutely see the argument for them being number one, and and I don't, I'm not like, I'm not offended by this choice. Any one of these pairs would have been fine for me as a winner of best duo. I think the reason why I didn't have them at the top of my list is, and part of this was just going back through the rewatch of WandaVision, and, and you realize like they're separate for a lot of the story. And so when I started thinking about best duo, I mean, they have some scenes together that are unbelievable. I mean, I, I know the finale wasn't everyone's favorite, but man, them saying goodbye to each other um, at the end of that was spectacular. I mean, it was so powerful, so moving. Um, I, I couldn't help but just be in love with both of them in, in that moment and feeling the the tragedy of this, you know, their their love just always destined to just never quite be fulfilled. And so I, you know, I felt all of that. And, and of course, their their scenes, you know, the flashback scene in the eighth episode of, of WandaVision and, um, you know, and, and even some of their more when back when we were more comfortably in sitcom land in that, uh, you know, bouncing back and forth off of each other um, in terms of the, the comedic impact, like all of that stuff was great. But I also felt like, um, and this is just how you think of the award in your mind. In, in my head, I was thinking, well, which ones are like, were they, are they, were they even better together than they are apart? Like Wanda and Vision each have great scenes, even when they're not together, true. Um, which is true for everybody on this list. But as far as a duo, I, I just, I could not get enough of Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld in Hawkeye. They were my top choice. They were also the top choice of our listeners. So don't worry, listeners. I, I feel your pain on this uh, on this snub, although it's still it's not a snub. They got nominated, but um, there is something about that pairing where I mean, and look, Jeremy Renner is good on his own. Haley Steinfeld good on her own. But when they come together, there is just something. You know, there is just a chemistry between the two of them that really elevates each of their performances in every aspect, not just in terms of, Oh, they're really funny together. They are. Um, but the dramatic, the emotional weight of their performances, uh, goes up when they are together with some of the scenes that they have. Uh, they are just, uh, they're just so good together and, uh, you know, had me ready for multiple seasons of Hawkeye with these two, both, uh, continuing to be in the lead. But look, these look at these other pairings. I mean, come on, Simu Liu and, and Aquafina as yeah. Sean and Katie. I mean, come on, they were hilarious and just so good together. Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh. I mean, they worked brilliantly together in in Black Widow. We all know about Mackie and Stan, right? Like, so there's no there was no bad choice on this list. There really wasn't. It just came down to preference. Looks like the listeners and I preferred Renner and Steinfeld, but. Uh, looks like everybody else had a strong preference for Olsen and uh, and and Bettany. And I, I really, uh, even though I spent the last five minutes doing so, I can't really argue with it, at least not successfully. So I will move on. I will move on to the most inspiring moment in the MCU in 2021. It was very tough to whittle this down to a list of five nominees, but nevertheless, here they are. 
Monica Rambeau re-enters the hex in WandaVision Season 1, Episode 7. What is grief, if not love persevering, in WandaVision Season 1, Episode 8? Cap's speech in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 6. Shang-Chi emerges with the Great Protector in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And with great power, the Aunt May edition from Spider-Man No Way Home. This was an incredibly close category with not much separating the top three finishers, but the one that finished on top is What is Grief, If Not Love Persevering from WandaVision Season 1, Episode 8. I know why this won. It wouldn't. Uh, it was not my top choice, but I totally get it, and I will explain why. Um, I was a big fan of Monica Rambeau re-entering the Hex because the the construction of that scene with Monica like hearing the voices of herself, her mom, Carol, all of these uh, all these important people in her life all coming together, and that's what and she's. It's the hex is doing everything to try and push her out, and she is just fighting her way through. And then she gets her powers and the whole thing. It's just wonderful. And um, that was, uh, but that was just my my second choice. My number one was Cap's speech. Sam Wilson is Captain America when he gets his first moment to engage the public, and it's impromptu. By the way, he wasn't like showing up to a podium; like he's just there, and the cameras are there, and he's being asked questions. And he just unleashes with his power being that he believes we can do better. That speech was fantastic. Uh, so brilliantly written and brilliantly performed by Anthony Mackie. Uh, I felt like that was the most inspiring moment of the year for me. Uh, but also, I mean, we we talked about everything with Aunt May. And, and I think that's why her getting the best civilian award, I think, is what covers it more so than her just saying with great power, because uh, she has the best version of it, but that is a lesson that we've uh, that we've heard many a time uh, over the years in in not just in the MCU, outside the MCU, long before the MCU was a thing. So um, that was maybe why it didn't quite land with it. I mean, it landed with me in every bit as much as it was supposed to, but didn't have the same level for most inspiring moment as these other ones. But uh, I understand why what is grief, if not love persevering. I, I understand why that one, because it is a beautiful line, a beautiful moment in the show. I mean, even Agatha was moved to tears by that moment. So, of course, uh, as she was taunting Wanda the whole episode, uh, that moment got Agatha. And I do believe that was genuine uh, because it was such a moving moment between these two characters. And look, that's what this series was about in in many ways. Um, not exclusively about this, but it was very much about grief and it was very much about processing grief and how we how we endure and, and move on from loss and Wanda has certainly been through a lot of it um, in the MCU, especially as it pertains to Vision. And that is something that is universal, that that everyone can relate to at, at different points in their life. And to have somebody characterize grief in that way, um, that certainly allows it to be viewed much more positively um, as, you know, as a love that endures as opposed to something that has necessarily ended um, it's, it's wonderful. And, and, and obviously that's the, that's the type of reframing. That's the type of perspective that, that people need and that people want and people crave and rightfully so. And, and this, that line, that moment, uh, absolutely delivered it. So I can certainly see how it was the most inspiring moment for a lot of people, uh, including our listeners who chose this as their, their top most inspiring moment. 
because if it inspired them to have a healthier relationship with their grief or loss or the challenges that they uh, endure in their lives, then then hey, if if that's what you got out of WandaVision, which I think a lot of people did, then that's a a pretty powerful theme park ride that the MCU's got going on here. So uh, I, I I love this as a top choice, even if it wasn't mine. I think it says a lot, Sean, that. We, my top choice didn't get it. Your top choice didn't get it. But it's amazing to me, and it says a lot that we got four really truly inspired moments, or five, excuse me. Um, you know, and it's it just shows you that these movies and these TV shows, though they deal with the super, you know, fun like they're about superheroes and they're silly and whatever. But we talked about before the show even that these things inspire people. You know, you know, people are are drawn to these things for a reason. And I think when the storytelling of, of any age is always going to be there and will always have the heightened sense of reality, reality that you talked about before the show. And, you know, I think it's really telling that all these moments are really like they're, they're really, really mean a lot for so many different people, you know, and I think that's what's really rad about storytelling in general art in general but i think just for this i think for marvel films you know what they're doing you know like you talked about again like you saying before the show this the show before the show is always so great people um you talked about transformers um just being this it's 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 gone it's come and gone and mm. and you know marvel has lasted 14 years and it is continuing to dominate and it's because for many different reasons but i think this is a very telling reason of why it's been able to sustain sustain itself for so long on a, on a continuity that's ever changing, and it's because we're, they're telling meaningful stories that impact people in different ways. And I think all five of these are all so different for the most part, and there's a reason why that Marvel has been successful. It's because of these moments like this. Most inspiring moment is a great example of why the MCU is has been sustaining power and and, and and success for so long and will for a long time because of this one like these five moments are a great right. example. And I picked, you know, Aunt May's great powers, you know, because for me it was impactful of what it represented for the character. And I think, I think for people in general, but again, everyone identifies these things differently. And the fact that Marvel is doing these, putting these things in inspiring people in all these different ways is really special. And it shows you what art just does in general. And I think the fact that it's pop, you know, this is pop mainstream art that like people will just kind of a lot of people on the surface be like, oh, I don't need this. It shows you how how great Marvel does these things, and that's why they've had success for so long. So, I, I love I love this uh, this whole category, and I think it's it's awesome and a great example of why Marvel is so success uh, so successful. It really is, and you know certainly yeah. As I was saying before the show, like it's if it was all just superficial superhero adventures with loud action and colorful, co- colorful costumes, I'm not being dismissive of those things. They're awesome. And I love it. And they are out. They are undoubtedly part of the appeal. But if that was all of it, which is how these things are often talked about and why they're dismissed um, and, and not really even, it's not even so much that they don't, um, they don't get nominated at other award shows that may or may not be happening as we record this episode, but it's that they don't even get considered. They don't even get looked at. They're not even able to 
and not that art should be a competition because that's inherently ridiculous, but they don't compete when it comes to Oscars and stuff like that with very, very, very rare exceptions. And it's because they're dismissed as being uh, surface level entertainment for audiences. And just because they're entertaining on the surface doesn't mean they don't connect with people on a much, much deeper level. The franchises that do that, the movies and shows that that only uh, connect with an audience at that very surface level, they don't last, they don't endure. There is nothing in history that, uh, in the history of movies and now shows that has engaged with an audience, uh, but specific, mainly with, you know, movies, because I guess you have had long-running TV shows, but to engage with an audience on this level that these movies do being such massive, you know, being such mass appeal types of things to engage with the audience as regularly as they have over the past 14 years. And to be able to not only sustain an audience, but continue to grow it uh, and engage an even bigger audience uh, as you go along. I've just never seen anything like it. And I don't think you can accomplish it by connecting with an audience only through uh, superficial elements. It has to be things you have to have things that are much, much deeper and, and really speaking to much more universal aspects of the human experience as a lot of these moments do for most inspiring moments. And they were not the only five choices, by the way, those were just the top five at the end of the year. But there were uh, there's a lot more inspiration where those moments came from because the MCU, as, as much as we love it, uh, for making us laugh and, and just dazzling us with superhero action. Um, we come back because we connect to it as people with the larger than life people that we see on, on the screen because there's some parts of their lives that, that aren't larger, that, uh, that are just very real for us and, and we're able to uh, connect to it in moments uh, such as these that we have highlighted and will continue to highlight in subsequent editions of the MCU Fan Awards. Now, uh, let's stop being so rosy and hopeful and let's start talking about the bad guys. It's time to look at our nominees for Best Antagonist. They are Catherine Hahn as Agatha Harkness in WandaVision, Jonathan Majors as He Who Remains in Loki, Tony Leung as Wenwu in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Richard Madden as Icarus in Eternals, and Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin in Spider-Man No Way Home. And the action figure goes to, there is no more deserving action figure on this entire award show tonight, well, tonight as we're recording it, whenever you're listening to it, no more deserving action figure than the one that Tony Leung is getting right now yes. as best antagonist for his portrayal of Wen Wu and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I am so thrilled that he is getting this win I talked about uh, we you know we we alluded to some things that didn't get looked at or considered. His is a performance when we look at other awards shows this uh, award season that um, I, that it's the one that's the most upsetting to me that it got overlooked because he he delivered something truly special in Shang Chi uh, in, in the role of Wen Wu. I. I think it's one of the finest performances that we have had in the entire MCU, regardless mm -hmm. of hero, villain, civilian, antagonist, whatever. Um, he, he was just, he was astounding in <clears throat> that movie, uh, in that film. And look, the, the top choice for fans was Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, or top choice amongst our listeners. And I get that, right? Like, yeah. Willem Dafoe, is, is, he made it a hard choice. Like, going toward the end of the year, I was like, yeah, Tony Leung by a mile. But when Willem Dafoe came in, 
with that performance. I mean, he delivered this performance, holy crap, almost 20 years ago. That was iconic as Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin. And to go away for a couple decades, not like he wasn't acting in between then, he totally was, but to step away from that role for a couple, after only playing it uh, the one time, although I know he had kind of some flashback ghost reprisals later on, but for the most part, you know, not doing a whole movie as this guy for 20 years, and then he steps back into it, and he does it better than he ever did before. Um, that was something I, I just didn't know was possible until Willem Dafoe did it. So I understand why he got, uh, why he got the win or I'm sorry, didn't get the win, why he got the vote, the first place vote from our listeners. The reason why he didn't get that vote from me, it's no fault of Willem Dafoe. It's just, this is the excellence of Tony Leung as Wen Wu, who gave us a layered, complex, nuanced performance that gave us somebody who could be wicked and evil in one moment and just genuinely sympathetic in others. And and I don't mean like sympathetic in the way, well, all villains kind of get to be sympathetic as heroes of their own story and all that stuff. No, like it's a whole other level with what he's able to achieve. I mean, the scene when he's looking at uh, his wife who really isn't there, but like he's just seeing his wife, hearing his wife, um, and you just see that this man is in mourning after losing the love of his life in this uh, in this tragic way. And he knows it's his own past that kind of came back to haunt him uh, and cause it. So it's it's the guilt over that. But then also just the pure loss uh, of his wife. There is the genuine love and care that he has for his children. But there is also the abuse of entitlement that comes from being a guy who's had this absolute power with these 10 rings for a thousand years. He is functioning so well as this character on all of these different levels. And I think that's what separates his performance from any of these others, including Willem Dafoe, where no disrespect to Willem Dafoe, but when he's in goblin mode, it, it's the that's the ask of him in Spider-Man No Way Home. The entire performance is basically dialed up to 11 because he just gets to be the most wicked, evil version of Green Goblin that we've ever seen, whereas Tony Leung is playing much more of just a, a genuine person in this heightened experience, heightened reality as Wen Wu. And it is a such a rich, complex character. There is so much that is asked of Tony Leung as an actor to bring this character to life with this fully realized, layered, nuanced performance. And there's not a single thing that Tony Leung uh, is, is asked to do that he doesn't absolutely excel at in this performance, he goes so far above and beyond. Um, it's an all-timer, as far as I'm concerned. So it's not—it's a winner for best antagonist this year. But as I said, it's an all-timer for any year in the MCU. Yeah, I. This was a tough one because De, I Defoe almost got it, but I thought you know, Defoe had some kind of reference point <clears throat> to go off of and to and do things he never got to do before. So. I feel that that's where it disqualified him from number one for me because he had something to go base off of. Whereas, you know, Wen Wu is a completely reorganized character that had no, that he was putting his own uh, stamp on. And I just thought he was just so a breath of fresh air and uniqueness and interesting character. And again, a, a, a fresh, not fresh take, but a fresh perspective on this character that I wasn't expecting. I'm being a Mandarin fan from the Iron Man comic books, a different character completely. 
but you know what like it's just it's just a different feel for the mcu also like it's a different kind of type of villain we haven't really gotten you know a very powerful villain if you will um and you know and and not with you know not like a thanos like threat but like you know an actual just real powerful kind of person um it was really great and it was a breath of fresh air for me and and that to me because it was, it was a new character basically that's why I gave, I gave it the edge this year only. Um, Defoe was number two, a very close number one. He was phenomenal in No Way Home, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, this for this one, I think you get you got to tip your hat to someone who just came in out of nowhere and just took everything by by the horns, man. Just phenomenal performance. Right. I think any other year, Willem Defoe wins it. It just exactly. happened to fall in the same year that Tony Leung gave us this performance as uh, as Wenwu and said, "I'm." Happy as any victory that in uh, any award that gets handed out uh, on, on this podcast that Tony Leung has won for best antagonist. Now let's go to another tough choice because it's time to decide the best episode of a series. So what, like 36 episodes? Now you got to pick the best one. Uh, let's go with the five nominees for best episode of a series. All new Halloween Spooktacular, WandaVision season one, episode six, written by Chuck Hayward and Peter Cameron, directed by Matt Shackman. Previously on, WandaVision Season 1, Episode 8, written by Laura Donnie, directed by Matt Shackman. Truth, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 5, written by Dallin Masson and directed by Kari Skogland. Uh, Journey into Mystery, Loki Season 1, Episode 5, written by Tom Kaufman and directed by Kate Heron. Echoes, Hawkeye Season 1, Episode 3, written by Katrina Mathewson and Tanner Bean, directed by Bert and Birdie. And the action figure goes to previously on WandaVision season one, episode eight, written by Laura Donnie, directed by Matt Shackman. No surprise here that this was the winner. I think we all recognized when this episode first dropped, which now is over a year ago. But when this episode first dropped, we knew that Marvel Studios on Disney Plus had just leveled up. And there were great episodes of WandaVision that preceded this. I mean, the sixth episode, as we was also nominated, all new Halloween Spooktacular, um, the on a very special episode, season one, episode five. I mean, WandaVision had been so good, but it was immediately apparent upon watching episode eight uh, previously on that it was on another level. It was really something special. And that was what really cemented it for me of, you know, this series being something truly great and and being right up there on the level with a lot of my favorite things in the MCU uh, that, I mean, before that we had only experienced the MCU as, as movies and, you know, the occasional Marvel one shot, which now that the old ones are on Disney plus pre start, let's start making new ones on Disney plus um, that I, uh, that aside uh, getting back to this, um, Yeah, it was apparent and it really set the bar for the rest of the year. As far as I was concerned, we were looking at what's what are the truly great episodes of these series? You know, which ones can be mentioned in the same breath as previously on? And there were some great ones. I mean, truth from the Falcon Winter Soldier, but also uh, one world, one people. The finale of the Falcon Winter Soldier was so great, as I mentioned. I mean, all that great cap action and then Sam's speech. uh, Amazing. Loki had some episodes. I mean, Glorious Purpose, the premiere of Loki was so strong. Uh, Journey into Mystery, the finale, as we mentioned, with He Who Remains. And then uh, Hawkeye. And, and I 
I love so many, like every episode of Hawkeye so much, but in going back and looking at it, I mean, Echoes just continues to stand out as uh, it's pretty much a perfect episode. And these are pretty perfect episodes uh, that we're talking about here. Um, But it's just that something extra for previously on that makes it stand out. I mean, just what a performance by Elizabeth Olsen uh, as we're going through this whole history of uh, of Wanda and her powers and tragedy and and how all of those things uh, were intersecting throughout her life. And then that scene between her and Vision at Avengers Compound. And then, of course, the the excitement of it, uh, even though it's uncomfortable because you've got, you know, the kids being held hostage. But then the reveal of you know, she's a, a Scarlet Witch and just saying those words out loud for the first time in the MCU and having Wanda be identified in that way. So it had all of that, you know, MCU fan level excitement, but just the drama and the emotion of that episode uh, put it over the top for for me and and for, you know, the our listeners and for most of the people voting. Uh, yeah, previously on, uh, it, it has set the bar for what Marvel, what a, an episode of Marvel Studios, uh, a Marvel Studios series on Disney Plus can be. Yeah, I, to me, this was a toss-up because I think I, WandaVision was going to get it regardless for me. So I went with the costume one because I'm, a, I'm just a, an original gangster like that. But you know what? Just, uh, yeah, I, either one. It's it's just, it, WandaVision was an incredible series. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like all new Halloween Spooktacular sometimes gets overlooked. And I, I think maybe because of that proximity to previously on. But that is such a good episode. Oh, like, so it good. is so funny and so entertaining and and I'm still impressed by how they were able to do that because it was so heavy in the first or the fifth episode of WandaVision they're like okay well now that you've peeled back the curtain and shown how Wanda is hurting people like are we still going to be able to have any fun in this series and somehow we kind of were and uh and while not dismissing like what's going the importance of what's actually going on here so all new halloween spooktacular is amazing and then that ending when wanda expands the hex uh just i mean ah just it's so good so Mm -hmm. uh yeah that's that's a perfectly worthy choice but yeah the top one previously on uh as most voted and um as i said that's that's the one that we'll probably be looking at, and that's the bar we'll be, you know, measuring future episodes of Marvel Studios and Disney Plus against. Uh, not that they all have to be that good, but that's the level we're looking at, especially when we're talking about what will be the best episode of a series in 2022. Um, but we'll leave behind the best episode talk to award the best lead actor in a series in 2021. The nominees are Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff in WandaVision. Paul, Bit- uh, Paul Bettany as Vision and The Vision in WandaVision, Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Tom Hiddleston as Loki in Loki, and Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop in Hawkeye. And the action figure goes to, it is unanimous, how could it not be, yeah. Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff in WandaVision, I don't feel like I need to say anything as to why. Everybody already understands this, but the point of this podcast is not just to reveal winners. It's to just go through why we like these things so much. So uh, I, I will go ahead, but let me give some credit to the nominees, including one that was very tough or a couple that were very tough to leave off of this. Um, Sebastian Stan in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Jeremy Renner in Hawkeye. He was the closest uh, who had to be left off and just giving an edge to Haley Steinfeld in that show, even though they were both just terrific. Um, and then Tom Hiddleston, 
I really go back to that first episode of Loki as one of my favorite performances of his in the MCU, especially when he's watching how his life plays out in that Glorious Purpose episode. Um, it's just, it's unbelievable. And then Anthony Mackie, I don't know if he'll ever get enough credit for what he did in, in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That is such an outstanding and, and nuanced performance from him. I, I And I think giving adding so much dimension to that character where he's just kind of been more comic relief friend of Steve Rogers to now that we're going to have to go in and experience a story with this guy and his struggle from his perspective. Um, Anthony Mackie really captured that while also just adding so much more to that character of uh, Sam's relationship with his family and everything. Uh, Anthony Mackie uh, was doing his best MCU work for sure in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then Paul Bettany you know, he actually plays three different versions of Vision in that show. Um, like he plays Wanda's Vision. He plays, you know, Hayworth or Sword's Vision with the white one. And then he plays his original one in the flashback in the previously on episode. So he's all these different versions of himself uh, or of Vision in uh, in the series. And he is just as great no matter what version of Vision he is playing and I, I'm just I'm so glad that the white vision is still around just because it means that Paul Bettany gets to come back uh, in the MCU um, at some point. But yeah, his his investigations into uh, into what's happening in Westview, the way he confronts Wanda about it um, and the way he goes out trying to get help for the people of Westview. Uh, Paul Bettany's just uh, just nailing it all the time as vision in that show. But Elizabeth Olsen just found a, a whole other a, a whole other level with her performance as Wanda Maximoff in WandaVision. And I mean, I, I know that she's technically playing one version of the character, not quite not three separate versions of a character, but uh, it still is different versions when you're talking about the different sitcom realities. And and she was so good at all of that, whether it was 50s, 60s era sitcom moving on to the 70s, trying desperately to be an 80s sitcom star, but it's, it was very difficult to to do that because Vision wasn't really up for it anymore. Um, and her her performance as this world is kind of unraveling, as, as Wanda is discovering the truth about what she's done and also you know trying and failing to hold this thing together um, and then being confronted with all of her truths and previously on and then embracing you know, the some per, perhaps hopefully a more positive part of her truth in the, the finale, um, but while also still having to reconcile the terrible things that she's done, so many things going on for this character. And it would be very easily it would be very easy to lose control of that uh, as an actor. But uh, Elizabeth Olsen is with it. Uh, she's got it every every step of the way. There's not a false note in her in her performance. Um at all, whether you're talking about sitcom star or the the heavier emotional drama and, and everything in between, uh, Elizabeth Olsen is just uh, yeah she's she's just pretty much perfect throughout. Exactly, one thousand percent. Now let's find another deserving winner for best lead actor. This time in a feature film, the nominees are Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova in Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff in Black Widow. Simu Liu as Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Gemma Chan as Cersei in Eternals, and Tom Holland as Peter Parker in Spider-Man No Way Home. And just like in the series category, we have another unanimous winner for Best Lead Actor. The Best Lead Actor in a feature film is Tom Holland as Peter Parker in Spider-Man No Way Home. 
it would it was very tempting to choose Florence Pugh as Yelena mm-hmm. Belova in Black Widow and Simu Liu as Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. They were both just so good. And I mean, Scarlett Johansson also as Natasha Romanoff. And Gemma Chan, very good performance as Cersei in Eternals, even though I didn't love the movie as much as these other ones that, that we've highlighted a lot more in the nominations this evening. But uh, there was nothing that wasn't really the result of or, or fault of her performance in the least. But uh, Florence Pugh... It was uh, interesting to think about it, but in certainly in thinking more about Black Widow and and going through the rewatch and everything, it's like, well, this is a co-lead role, not a supporting role as Yelena in Black Widow, um, even though Scarlett Johansson's got the top billing and, and all of that stuff. They really are co-leads uh, in that movie, and so I had to have Florence Pugh co- compete in the lead category and and uh, competed very, very well, and, and so did uh, Simu Liu, but I think it's really just... Tom Holland being part of something in Spider-Man No Way Home that, you know, overall is uh, just a, a very, very special movie and a very, very special experience for many of us. But that's thanks in no small part to his performance. He is really, really good in this one. He's always been good. Like, he's been good since before he was in the MCU. But then since we went to Queens for the first time in, or, I mean, even with the Hey Everyone from that Civil War trailer, but then when we actually saw the movie and we go to Queens for the first time and we with Tony Stark are meeting this kid, Peter Parker, for the very first time, ever since then, it's just been nothing but great stuff from Tom Holland, but he was able to turn in his best performance as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man in this one where he's having to just go through it all. And he, he's going through a lot more of it on his own. I mean, I, I understand that Doctor Strange is helping out with some magic stuff. And then obviously Aunt May is a key inspiration. But the whole point of this, though, is that, you know, there's so much of Peter Parker where he has to pull away and not necessarily listen to everybody. He, For better, or for worse, he doesn't necessarily listen to everything that Doctor Strange says. He decides to listen to what Aunt May says and that he's the much better for it. But that performance where there's just more expected of Peter Parker than ever before. His friends, his family, they expect more of him, and he expects more of himself and learns to expect even more of himself uh, in that film. And Tom Holland is, is just there for it. And when you start getting into the, the larger elements of uh, the sacrifice at the end and what he decides to do, um, the but then also like... Tom Holland hits like a lever that I didn't know he had when he gets like pure rage over a Green Goblin killing Aunt May and wanting to kill the guy and, and would have if uh, Peter too doesn't step in and basically save Peter one's soul in that moment. Um, but then, you know, Peter making that with the gift of an extra moment to think about it from Peter too, making that moment to cure Norman Osborn instead, but then making that sacrifice um but not the big version in front of Doctor Strange, as great as that may be, but it's just the other one, the simpler one in the in the donut shop of just he's there to to help MJ remember and then decides, you know, she doesn't whether or not she agrees with that later. And it, it will come up at some point. But in that moment, he's deciding that. By telling them, I'm really helping myself more than I'm helping them. Um, and it's about serving and uh, it's about serving others. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm living for. Um, they don't necessarily need me. I'm going to go find someone who does as Spider-Man and uh, and go save the day. So I just everything about that. There's just so many more layers to Peter Parker um, that were brought in through uh, the writing, but then also through Tom Holland's performance as Peter Parker this time. So, uh, yeah, it, it was the lead performance of the year. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to add to that is I think what made it for me 
was the towards like the middle part of the film. That to me is where he really shines, and yeah, he's phenomenal. So yeah, uh, Tom Holland totally deserves it. Yep, indeed he does. So I mean, as far as best lead performance, well, I said lead performance of the year, lead performance in a film. I I won't try to compare Tom Holland and Elizabeth Olsen. I don't have to. We have lead categories in film and series. Uh, so I'm not going to make them uh, fight it out for best overall lead performance because you have to do different things in a film versus a uh, versus a series to some extent. Anyway, moving on, let's talk about the best series of 2021. The nominees are WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, and Hawkeye. So five series, five nominees. So pretty easy to get nominated. <laughs> All you had to do was be uh, an MCU series in 2021. Um, but you had to do a lot more than that to win. And the action figure for best MCU series in 2021 goes to WandaVision. And that one was also unanimous, as you might have suspected. It's crazy that Marvel Studios was able to nail it uh, so well just right out the gate. And I know that WandaVision was not intended originally to be the first series. Remember way back when, when we were supposed to get the Falcon Winter Soldier in August of 2020, uh, before, of course, a pandemic and lots of delays and, and reshuffling of the schedule and whatever. So it ends up working out that WandaVision is the first series. And it almost makes it sound like, well, it's been all downhill since then because Marvel hasn't been able to match what they did in WandaVision. All those other series that I mentioned are, are great in their own way. They just don't quite rise to the level of greatness that we saw in WandaVision, uh, just such a, a complete experience. And, and I know the finale wasn't everybody's favorite, although in rewatching the finale a number of times, not just on my most recent rewatch, I've thought the finale was, I still think the finale is better than it gets credit for. Not perfect, and it does have some, you know, some stumbles here and there, but it also has moments that are, are just incredible. And um, as the, the series, week in, week out, was just so wonderful to follow. And it's such a rich experience um, emotionally, superficially as a fan. Like it was just firing. Uh, and it was just succeeding in every way that you could uh, that you could expect or you could hope for. Uh, WandaVision was just it, it was something special. And, and I think we knew it as we were seeing it. And we just continue to feel that way um, as we carry on in the MCU. But that's to say nothing of the Falcon and Winter Soldier, which, you know, was outstanding and, and Loki, which I know a lot of people, there are plenty of people out there who think Loki was the best series. Um, and I don't, uh, I, while I don't agree with it, I can still see it. Um, what if I still really love what if zombie episode aside, but it just wasn't quite on the level, I think of these live action series. Um, and Hawkeye was very close to WandaVision for me. And I think we were saying it during our spoiler reviews and, but I, I didn't, I was hesitant to put it as the best series because I, I wanted to, I didn't want that recency bias to take too much of an effect and have a little bit of distance from Hawkeye and then also give uh, WandaVision another look. And and it, it was definitely clear that, that WandaVision is in the top spot, but Hawkeye is uh, in that second spot for me. I, I think there's something really special there. And it's it's a brand new holiday tradition that I am going to be very happy to, to have and experience uh, each and every year now. Uh, but the best series, it, it was WandaVision. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Now let's move to the best feature film of 2021. The nominees are, well, the four films that we got from the MCU in 2021. Black Widow, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, and Spider-Man No Way Home. And we have another unanimous winner. Uh, this time it is Spider-Man No Way Home. 
I I think Spider-Man No Way Home, it's this was closer for me though than than I think the unanimous victory would suggest because Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, as I said at the time, it's one of the most ambitious movies in the entire MCU. I mean, creatively, it's doing so many different things, so many different genres and influences that are being incorporated into the storytelling at different times. And doing so in such unexpected ways and yet being able to do so effectively so that you don't feel like you're watching four different movies at the same time. It it all comes together seamlessly, even though it totally shouldn't. There's something uh, really rare uh, in what they were able to do. Destin Daniel Cretton as the director and the rest of the team, what they were able to pull off with Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And I would have been perfectly comfortable with that as my best feature film choice until I saw Spider-Man No Way Home and then made sure, not just recency bias, that I continued to feel that way for some time. And this is not about fault in something like Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. It's just about what's great in Spider-Man No Way Home. And it is it just has so many of the things that are just that I love most about superhero storytelling while also delivering things that I just never expected I would be able to see. And and even things that because of rumors and whatever else might have guessed I might see the way you actually see them or way they actually saw them unfold in Spider-Man No Way Home. It was just a whole other level of uh, of, of excitement. And I, I just, you know, it, it represents everything that I have loved about the MCU for the past 14 years, while also everything I have loved about superhero based movies, especially since 2002 with the first Spider-Man movie. But then also so much of what I always hoped for from superhero movies, whether I was ambitious enough to dream about it or not as a fan. um, So much of that is uh, just uh, encapsulated perfectly in Spider-Man No Way Home. It's it's one of the best MCU movies ever. Um, It's right there in that, you know, Marvel masterpiece class of my favorite and what I think are the best movies that Marvel Studios has ever done. Um, Spider I mean, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings might also be in that uh, in that territory, but I know for sure that Spider-Man No Way Home is. Uh, and yeah, it was it was the best MCU movie I saw last year. Yeah, I, Spider-Man No Way Home is is a masterpiece, pretty much, in my opinion. It's so good. And I, I, I cannot wait to rewatch it. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm counting the days down. So, yeah, I'm not surprised and it's well deserved. Indeed it is. Now it is time for us to bestow the, well, actually, no, it's not time to bestow the highest honor, second highest honor, which is the best MCU story. So we have, uh, we've had the best series, we've had the best feature film, but now, even though in, in certain categories, I'm not making the series and the films compete for best overall MCU story, the series and the films do compete So the nominees for Best MCU Story are WandaVision, Loki, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Hawkeye, and Spider-Man No Way Home. And you would imagine that the favorites are the best series, WandaVision, and the best film, Spider-Man No Way Home. They are, and they finished in first and second place, with first first place being Spider-Man No Way Home, the official MCU Fan Awards selection for the Best MCU Story of 2021. So really just ditto all the same things I said about Spider-Man No Way Home for best feature film. It was, well, it was all those things uh, and then some. And I I think it's really hard when we have to pit the movies and series against each other because they are structured 
so differently. So this best MCU story, it's really more for funsies. And this entire award show, if you haven't noticed, is totally just for funsies. But anyway, um, WandaVision would have been just as worthy of a choice. And, and it was pretty close. This time it was not unanimous for best story like it was for best feature film. And uh, Shang-Chi also and The Legend of the Ten Rings also did very well uh, in the voting in this category. But Spider-Man No Way Home gets the edge. And uh, for all the reasons I, I listed moments ago, it, it's not difficult for me to see why. Yeah, no, it's um, again, this is a it's an old timer. It really is an old, for many, many different reasons. Absolutely. Now it's time for the highest honor for the MCU Fan Awards, and that is the John Beerley Politeness Award. This was a tradition like the Paul Herman Squeal Award that started with the original Modern Myth Movie Awards. John Beerley uh, is our, our dear friend and brother who, who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, you can go back and you can hear our, our dedication show to him. You can go back to episode 124 if you want to hear him join us for our spoiler review on Avengers Endgame. And you can be uh, just, you can marvel, no pun intended or pun partially intended, at just how good John Beerley was at breaking all this stuff down. Um, but also, one of the things that John liked most were acts of kindness in these stories. And he liked, he loved things that had heart and he loved characters doing things for others. And, you know, that's something that John liked as a fan, but anybody who knew him uh, also knows that that's just who John was as a person. And so uh, anytime I see certain acts of kindness or politeness or respect or whatever it may be in these movies, they always stand out as moments I know he would have liked, but also moments that I feel uh, represent him as a person. And so in the spirit of that, there is going to be a, a single grand prize winner of this, but every nominee is a winner of the John Beerley Politeness Award in these five uh, moments that we're going to go through. Um, and so let me just uh, list them now, and I will end with the grand prize winner. Um, first up, we have Yelena giving Natasha her vest in Black Widow because she just knew Natasha liked it. So anytime, it's a very simple thing, but also very cool, nerdy MCU Easter egg because we knew that Natasha had the vest in Infinity War and so on. And her sister giving her that vest just because she knew her sister liked it. And also as a parting gift after uh, having to having to go different paths after only just being reunited. Just a very sweet moment between those characters. The next one that I want to highlight is Kate Bishop bringing the Christmas movie marathon and other Christmas activities to Clint Barton. And that was in Hawkeye season one, episode four. So as you'll recall, Clint Barton was missing all of these Christmas activities with his family, in part because he was trying to save Kate Bishop from you know whatever trouble she had gotten herself into by uh, suiting up in the Ronin costume and then continuing to inject herself into uh, the trouble surrounding that. So Kate decides to bring the movie marathon to Clint, which even Clint says twice in that how much it meant to him uh, that she took the time to do that. She didn't have to do it. And I don't think just it was just because she was trying to score points with her uh, childhood hero. It was because she genuinely wanted to do that nice thing for a person that she knew absolutely deserved it. Um, this kind of moment that I know John would have loved. And then the next one that I want to talk about, this one was almost the winner, except for there were two mo uh, moments that were just even more moving than this. But this is the type of simple thing that I, I think also represents... Uh, that John would have loved and the kind of person that he was. 
And that is Shu Shiling complimenting Katie's pants in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And I talked about this during our, our spoiler review at the time. And you can certainly argue that I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think I am based on you know what Shiling describes as her experience, because you could write it off as it's just that Shiling legitimately likes Katie's neon green pants and, and offers the compliment. But I think it was more than that. I think it was Shai Ling's way of inviting Katie into the conversation because that conversation could have easily just been, it's about the brother and sister Shai Ling and Shang-Chi and Katie is an outsider who knows nothing about it. Shai Ling knows what it's like to be treated like an outsider, even in her own home, as she talks about you know, survival strategies with Katie not long after this in the film. They just keep your head down, stay quiet, and they won't notice you um, because she was overlooked in her own home. Her father couldn't look at her after her mother died. And all of the training, and not just that, but all of the attention went to Shang-Chi. So Shia Ling knows what it's like to feel excluded. And so she very quickly and immediately brings Katie into the conversation so that Katie is not excluded. And if you ever went to a convention with John or a dinner with John, group dinner with John, whatever, um, he was famous for making sure everybody was included in the conversation. And uh, if somebody was quiet, it wouldn't be, well, John didn't want to disrespect them if they were shy, but he would make sure they knew that they were included and to engage them on their level about their interests or whatever it may be, especially if maybe for people who aren't as into all of the geeky stuff that we're into on the same level uh, that we are. Uh, John was always happy to bring someone into the conversation, and he would often do it with a compliment, as Shai Ling did for Katie. Uh, the next moment that I, I want to highlight is Peter 2 helping Peter 3 with his self-talk in Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, also, almost had to go for Peter 3 grabbing that cobweb for uh, Ned's Lola in, uh, in the apartment in Spider-Man No Way Home, but it's just on another level here. Uh, with Peter 2 helping Peter 3 with that self-talk and telling him he's amazing um, because there was no greater champion for you uh, than John Beerley and would certainly talk up and hype up any of his friends and giving them all the credit that they deserved or even more than maybe some of us deserved um, because he was always a big believer uh, in his friends, whether they were new or had been around for a long time. That was the kind of conversation that I could see John having with someone with him being uh, playing that part that, uh, that Peter 2 did. And the grand prize of the John Beerley Politeness Award for 2021 goes to Sam Wilson getting Isaiah Bradley included in the Captain America exhibit in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier season one, episode six. It was um, just a, a wonderful gesture by Sam Wilson and that ultimate form of inclusion in getting the the story of Isaiah Bradley, which even Isaiah Bradley didn't feel he wanted to be told or didn't even know he wanted to be told. Rather, he thought he wanted the opposite. Just be, But I don't think, you know, in terms of Sam, it wasn't about going against Isaiah's wishes. It was knowing that the only reason this guy says he wants to remain a ghost or remain dead or as if he had never existed after, because that's the way that it had been for him for so long, is that was what he felt he had to accept. That was all he felt he could accept for survival or whatever else. But Sam Wilson, knowing and recognizing that this man has a vital place in history and he deserves to be seen, uh, he deserves to be recognized, and the world needs to and deserves to know the truth of, about his story. And the world will be better for knowing his story than it would be without it and making sure that Isaiah Bradley and his story are included in the story of Captain America in that Smithsonian, uh, Smithsonian exhibit 
in uh, in the Falcon Winter Soldier. That by Sam Wilson is the ultimate act of of kindness, of politeness, of respect, and the grand prize winner of the John Beerley Politeness Award, along with all of these other moments that were highlighted. And I look forward to seeing the acts of kindness, respect, and politeness that we get from the characters of the MCU in uh, 2022. Paul, any last thoughts on our winners this year? The John Beerley Award is perfectly, perfectly uh, given to, and I I love going through all these, <clears throat> excuse me, all these things is great. So yeah, just a phenomenal year. This year is going to be no exception with Moon Knight coming out and all those other crazy things. And yeah, it's going to be another nutty year, Sean. I I really can't wait. And it's it's nice, though. I'm, I'm glad that we because of these MCU fan awards that we, you know, our, our makeup award show, I'm glad we do it and we're glad we've done it because. Yes, I'm very excited about what we are about to see with Moon Knight starting this week and then Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Miss Marvel and Thor Love and Thunder and Black Panther Wakanda Forever, She-Hulk, all these things that we know are on the way this year. And I'm so excited about all of it. But I also want to make sure that as we as we get more of the MCU than we've ever had in such a short amount of time, including like we just saw in 2021, I mean, look at look at everything that made these lists of nominees and then think about all the good stuff that didn't make any of these lists of nominees. And while we have so much, it is important to not just always move on to the next thing, but you know, not that we just live in everything that's already happened and live in the past, but take uh, a moment when you can to savor some of your favorite moments, stories, uh, performances of the MCU um, in the year that you're in, in the years prior, because uh, these are not disposable stories. They're, there's, a, there's a lot of very deep, real emotion uh, at, at the heart of these stories and, and a lot that I, I know we all connect to very much. And um, these stories definitely deserve that, that extra moment of, of thought or that extra rewatch or, or whatever it is uh, to just remember uh, why you loved it so much and, and go back to kind of how it felt the first time you were seeing those and also respect how you just continue to love these things even as you watch them over and over again while, of course, being ready and in the moment uh, for what we're about to see uh, with Moon Knight and, and, and the rest that's on our way in 2022 and beyond. Uh, but that is where we will wrap up this edition of the MCU Fan Show. That is it for the MCU Fan Awards. I know this was a longer show, but we're definitely a lot shorter than the Oscars, so we got that going for us, which is nice, and also a lot more MCU uh, recognition in this, although it's also exclusively MCU recognition, so that kind of goes without saying. Um, but anyway... Thank you all so much, and thank you to everyone who voted to help, uh, who helped decide uh, the winners of these awards. We really do appreciate your participation. Make sure you are following us in those places you can. If you want exclusive podcasts for premium subscribers, that's available via Fanshow Plus, whether it's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or if you search for Fanshow Plus, uh, or the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe there for extra MCU conversation and even spoiler reviews and other things about stuff outside of the MCU. And then you can follow us. We are on Instagram and Twitter at MCU Fan Show. Paul, where can they find you? On Twitter, Herman22 with two N's and the Comic Binge YouTube channel. And uh, thanks so much. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.